Welcome to the 132nd episode of Rank and Review. Uh, as of October 17th, 2018, the government of Canada has legalized marijuana. And to acknowledge it, we're going to do a marijuana-themed episode. So and I got together and we watched six movies that use marijuana as a major plot point. And, uh, uh, yeah... So anyway, I hope you enjoy a little bit of a different Rankin Review episode. As usual, you can send your feedback to review at gmail.com. That's R-A-N-K-N-R-E-V-I-E-W. I will apologize for the spoilers. I will apologize for the coarse language. But what are you going to do? If you like this podcast, there's a really good chance you'll like the Terror Table podcast. So check out the Terror Table podcast, wherever podcasts are found. And this episode of Rankin Review, like all the others, is brought to you in part by the feature motion picture, Book of Trespasses. Written and co-directed by your host and random Canadian, Larry Parsons, it shall be entering the festival circuit in Canada in 2019. Thank you for listening to Rankin Review. Check out the website at rankinreview.ca. And let's burn this one, kids. All right, uh, Rankin Review fans, welcome to another interesting episode of Rankin Review, where uh, a regular guest is joining me to discuss six weed themed movies. Mm-hmm. I am, they're not all necessarily pot comedies or like hothead movies, but in some measure or another, marijuana plays a big part <laughs> in the plot of all of these movies. And it's a timely podcast, because here in Canada, where uh, Rankin Review has sprung from, as of October 17th, 2018, recreational and medicinal marijuana uh, is legal in Canada. Uh, at the time of this recording, it is not yet legal, but by the time you guys are listening to it, it shall be. So, uh, we're going to talk about movies that address the subject, and it's, it's interesting. It's interesting how, uh, how long it's taken for this day to come, and it's interesting the political divide that it has created. What, what do you think they, the biggest problem uh, the, the community or even our culture is going to have with it being legal? Well, there'll be definitely a, a period of adjustment because it's been for so long, uh, you know, considered one of the evils. Drugs. We're mm-hmm. at a war on drugs, mm-hmm. and somehow legalizing drugs is like admitting defeat on some level in the war on drugs. Um, having worked a lot in the creative community and having done some personal research myself, 
I personally feel that it's fairly harmless, and I do think that there is a good argument to be made to a lot of medical benefits to it. Mm -hmm. um, and I do believe, in, you know, people should be free to do things that they want to do. There's very clearly a difference, I think, if you do a little bit of study between a drug like marijuana and a drug like cocaine mm -hmm. or meth. It's just, it's a different, different spectrum on what it does to you and what it, you know, and the repercussions of it and the infrastructure. Like, it's a completely different, but it gets treated exactly the same. Mm -hmm. And for a lot of people psychologically, crack, marijuana, meth, it's all drugs, right? Whereas to the average person who regularly smokes weed, it's like, you like to have a glass of wine after supper, I like to go out on the deck and smoke a joint, mm -hmm. right? Um, but that difference will slowly become less of a deal. But for the first little while, we'll be like, oh my goodness. <laughs> uh, we had a sort of a microcosm of this in the United States with Washington State mm -hmm. uh, legalizing it. And uh, all the people who were against the, the idea were just waiting to see all these stats come in about how, you know, people are quitting their jobs and they're, you know, <laughs> mm -hmm. all of these people are an epidemic of drug abuse and, um, you know, none of what they predicted or anticipated looked to happen happened and there was a lot of financial wins to the state as a result of being one of the first in the country to legalize it mm -hmm. um so there will be i think an immediate sort of surprising financial benefit <laughs> mm -hmm. and, and it will ricochet into other industries such as tourism and things like this mm -hmm. um but again uh, the more exposure it gets the more the people who are scared of it will continue to be scared of it. Mm -hmm. um, it's just time will heal all wounds. It's just like any social moray change, you know, we have to be careful how we refer the language we use when we're referring to it, somebody who's transgender or something like that. It's an uncomfortable adjustment that society is being asked to make. And at some level, eventually we'll make it. There'll just be a little bit of an uncomfortable middle ground. Well, well, we adjust culturally. Mm, okay. Okay. Is my theory is I pontificate. Okay, but uh, what do you think? Like the worst thing that's going to happen when this is officially legal? Well, I'm talking about a, a negative. You spoke a lot of positive. What is one negative that you could see happening with it being legalized? Well, um, more people smoking means more people smoking and driving. Probably, you know, there is. I think that's going to be cut down significantly. That's a problem. But, well, but, but that's always going to be a problem. How about smoking in public? That we deal with. with because uh, it, it will be illegal to smoke in public. Well, it's not... Because it, it, that's kind of fair in a way, though. Mm -hmm. uh, if I'm drinking a beer, the person standing next to me doesn't get a contact high from my beer. <laughs> Do you mm -hmm. know what I'm saying? Yeah. So I get there being places where you're not... If you're at an outdoor concert, maybe you shouldn't just be able to light up or there should maybe be designated areas. The same there would be for smokers or for even drink. Like a mm -hmm. lot of places you go, you have to be in a certain area where you drink your beer. Mm -hmm. So why couldn't there be a certain... There will be obstacles that I think are very overcomable, but mm -hmm. they're all things that we've been willing to concede for alcohol. Mm -hmm. So <laughs> again, yeah, we want to keep it out of the hands of the young. So we'll... Well, it's still a controlled substance and and yeah people can abuse it and that should be keeping an eye on but that again mm -hmm. is no different than alcohol right? mm -hmm. all right well let's get to like weed and movies because like weed has been in movies since the 40s yeah but it was only up until i would say the late 70s that it was shown in a relatively at least humorous light um but there is sort of uh, you know 
with a lot of these pop movies, and I, I, I'm going to shout out some other ones that are, are going to be mentioned in here, which right. in some ways I'm sort of surprised. Like Friday, I'm surprised is when we're not going to talk, but because I think it, that's considered you know a quintessential Maybe we have, or a Cheech and Chong movie, for instance. Yeah, well, Up in Smoke is another one that. Here's the, I, I usually go out of movies that are from my collection. So, yeah. So that sort of was pared down. For some reason, although I loved Cheech and Chong when I was a kid. Yeah. I don't own any Cheech and Chong. And when I loved Cheech and Chong, I didn't really understand stoner comedy. I just thought it was funny because, I don't know, I, was, I didn't think very deeply about it. Yeah. Um, so I think it would be interesting and maybe worthwhile at some point to do a Cheech and Chong episode of Rank and Review. Yeah. But, um, yeah, I don't have a lot of these mainstays. Like, that's sort of what I wanted to talk about in the introduction a little bit. A lot of these movies are sold on the pot, even though they'll have really good cast and really interesting people behind the movie. Yeah. The thing about the movie that makes it interesting is that it's either a pot comedy or that it centers around weed. Yeah. And uh, it's selling to a very specific audience, and uh, they've done it for a long time, repeatedly. And uh, you don't know, like, what's the highest grossing pot comedy ever? Probably Friday, right? Uh, I would Maybe up in smoke by now, but uh, rare, right? It's yeah. not like half baked, tore up the box office, right? Yeah. It's not, but it might be Pineapple Express, actually. Who knows? That, that's probably a good call, too. But it's interesting to see a movie that it's actually catering or directing its marketing at the pot audience. Yeah. It suggests that it's a lot larger than people realize because, mm-hmm. like, that that's a demographic to consider. Mm-hmm. We're talking about a lot of people. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and and sometimes they do it in a sneaky way. I remember when Muppets from Space came out. Mm-hmm. They had that poster of uh, Puppet Gonzo floating in a beam of light, mm-hmm. and uh, the the caption was "Best Muppet Trip." Ever, yeah, and you couldn't help but think, well, who are they advertising for? Yeah. <laughs> right. yeah. So sometimes it's cautious, but sometimes it's right in your face, and sometimes, and we'll talk about it on this list. It's a little bit dishonest. Mm-hmm. Uh, Dazed and confused is sort of considered a pot comedy in certain circles, but I think of it much more of like a coming of age sort of teen comedy that has some people smoking weed in it a lot because a lot of high school students, especially in the seventies and the era they're talking about. Smoked a lot of weed. It was just like an authentic color and background to the movie that became the thing that the movie was about for Mm -hmm. some reason. Um, So we can talk about that when we get there. But I think all of these movies have things that you could sell it that would make it a more interesting thing to sell it on. And yet it's sold on weed. So why is Hollywood trying to sell us weed? Uh, Why is Hollywood trying to sell us weed? (laughs) Um, I think it became what... Somewhat, somewhat acceptable by the late 70s and 80s, at least in sort of the art, artistic world, I'm sure even longer than that, mm-hmm. that have sort of engaged in ganja and... and it sneaks into weird places. Yeah. The parents and poltergeist smoking that joint. They're like, he's reading the biography of like Ronald Reagan, so he's yeah. like hardcore Republican by day, but pot-smoking hippie by and night. night. Yeah. Uh, and, and that's sort of an interesting thing that doesn't get addressed a lot in the movies we're talking about, that a lot of people who smoke weed, you know, aren't like high school dropouts. They're when like do you, doctors when, and lawyers. When do you think marijuana got really sort of accepted in almost mainstay everyday culture? Because when Cheech and Chong first came out, it was at least not accepted, I would say, in white culture as much. It was, you know, maybe the seeds were being planted at that point, but... It's ironic. The Cheech and Chong phenomenon is largely ironic. A, it's... They're, they're Mexicans, but the seed of Chichen Chan was born in Vancouver, Canada. Yeah. And so it's sort of, yeah. Uh, um, 
but a lot of the legal stuff that, that originally made marijuana become stigmatized and uh, eventually made criminal was they didn't like all these Mexicans hanging out in certain towns and they wanted a reason to fuck with them. Yeah. And a lot of the Mexicans smoked ganja weed. So if they could mess with you on the auspices of like, yeah. oh, you're smoking weed. Well, while we're doing that, we'll find another reason to... to I remember to, this talked about in that grass documentary. Yeah, so we can use this as an excuse to kick you out of town or whatever. All of yeah. a sudden, it becomes... So it's ironic that Cheech and Chong ended up, you know, being the guys to wag the big marijuana flag for Hollywood. Yeah. Uh, they made it okay to laugh at, at stoners, but in Cheech and Chong, we're laughing at them. Mm-hmm. And by the time we get to Pineapple Express, we're laughing with them. Yeah. Um, and yeah, this podcast is going to sort of deal with the gray middle ground, I think. Well, one thing that I found almost consistent with most of the pot movies, like there's one that sort of, um, almost has it or it has it in some way is a lot of pot movies sort of examine male friendship a lot. Uh, Pineapple Express is definitely one of them where these, you know, these two guys literally become friends. Harold and Kumar, Friday, Half-Baked, How High... Uh, all are sort of examining at, you know, at times you know juvenile male friendships, but real you know intimate male friendships that are you know there's not a lot of gay jokes added. I mean, I think one um, God, which one has maybe one too many gay jokes in it though? There's uh, a few in half baked, I think, but like again, yeah, I, it's not about that. No, but they exa- they really do examine usually in a comedic right in a comedic light. Excuse me. Um, male friendship a lot and, and genuine male friendship and I find that sort of rewarding what are the things that you depend on and uh, two things that are commonly depended on for good or ill because there's good and bad to both mm-hmm. are your friends and your little green bag right <laughs> yeah. you can become over dependent on your friends and you can become over dependent on your little green bag right? yeah. so uh, and I think it's a smart move to address it and, and mm-hmm. sometimes they overcorrect for it Pineapple Express again we keep on talking about movies we're not going to talk about today yeah. I think like went out of its way the, to portray the, our central pothead as kind of like a gross dude, I thought, in a lot of ways. It was one of the more unlikable characters for Seth Rogen to play, and uh, he should be, you know, more relatable. I would have liked for him to be more relatable. Yeah. But, but how about we talk about the six movies we are going to talk about? Fair enough. Is there anything else you wanted to say by way of introduction, or have we well covered it? No, I think we've talked, you know, fairly long, actually. This has been a, a lengthy opening We're going to talk about uh, the Greg Araki film, Smiley Face? Yep. Uh, we're going to talk about Tim Blake Nelson's Leaves of Grass. Yep. Uh, Richard Linklater's Days and Confused. Mm-hmm. Um, Stephen Gyllenhaal's Homegrown. Yep. <laughs> Since I'm mentioning everybody else, I guess I shall say from Jesse Dillon, How High, <laughs> and from Tamara Davis. Tamara Davis. We have Half Baked. Um, they're all at least advertised as pot comedies, but I'm going Homegrown's to argue. Not. I'm going to argue that some of them are not. <laughs> yep. Watch the trailer of some of these, and they seem a little bit misleading. But uh, all of them swing, uh, the plot swings on some way or another around weed. Yep. Uh, let's do this, dude. Do it. Every now and then, a film comes along that changes everything. What were we talking about? This is the story of how a person got from point A to point Z. Step one, the cupcakes. 
recognized then the true nature of the cupcakes I had consumed. Step two, the deal. Meet me with the money at three. Oh no. Jane! <laughs> yep, it's pretty funny. <laughs> Anna Ferris, John Krasinski, Danny Masterson, and Caratop. <gasps> Smiley face. That was intense. See what all the buzz is about. Okay. So I was <clears throat> really big into film, especially in the early 90s. I'm still big into film, but I would see movies several times a week, mm -hmm. regularly at the Broadway Theater, regularly at the Place Real. So this Greg Araki guy, I bumped into quite a bit in the early 90s. And I remember after seeing Totally Fucked Up and The Doom Generation and Nowhere, I officially threw up my hands and mm -hmm. said, I don't like this dude. Yeah. Don't like him. I see his name on it. You know what? I'm less interested. I, I will say this. If first impressions are a thing, my first impression of, is it Greg Araki? Is that how we're saying that? I, I think that's right. I could be wrong. It's a, uh, it yeah. is A-R-A-K-I. Araki. Okay. <laughs> Um, well, here at Rackham Review, we try and get at least the, the pronunciation of our... <laughs> Phonetically artists. Iraqi. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, if first impressions are a thing, um, he really whiffed and swung out uh, with the Doom generation. That's actually one of the movies I hated them. I have to say, if there was a top ten of movies I hate the most, that would be it's, up there. It was a really sort of... Ugly exploitation cheapo movies, and no matter how bad they were, he kept on being allowed to make another one. It was really amazing. It wasn't nowhere at least sort of critically applauded. Uh, I guess in certain art house circles, that was pretty much where I threw up my hands. Um, but I, I mentioned all this. Also, where he did one of the Jordan Gordon Levitt that uh, reflect reflective skin, which apparently yeah, got right. a lot of like. I mentioned all this nods. shit because I couldn't have been more pleasantly surprised. Yeah. By Smiley Face, because it's not exploitive at all. There's no needless, gratuitous sex or violence for the sake of needless, gratuitous sex or violence. Mm -hmm. And it handles a fairly delicate balancing act of a comedy mm -hmm. incredibly well. Mm -hmm. I don't think any of it would have been a done accomplishable without a strong central performance of Hannah Ferris. Mm -hmm. Because what we have here is a woman who consistently makes the wrong decision, yeah. but we're consistently with her. <laughs> we recognize it's a bad decision, but yeah. we get why yeah, she's, she's doing making it. it. Yes. Um, I would say that maybe the effects of the hit start to wear off a little bit in the third act for me, but yeah. for the most part, it is a consistently odd, fun funny movie. It's and I couldn't have been more pleasantly surprised by that. It's a very funny movie. I, I laughed really, really hard. Actually, it, it, this movie gave me a couple of things uh, I didn't know that he, I needed, let alone wanted. <laughs> I have to say, is a Denny Masterson from the 70s show? Hide. Yeah, yeah. He, there's this quick, there's this quick shot of him actually fucking a skull that made me laugh uncontrollably. It's this, it's the screensaver on these computer now. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, the movie is just filled with specific odd details yes. like that. She again, we're not sure if that's real or not, but it get put in her head by yeah. someone else that. 
he's the type of dude that would be a scalper. <laughs> so the movie chooses to visualize that. But again, uh, Greg Araki, or however you say his name, yeah. uh, would have been more implicitly graphic with that. In this one, he's trying to make, shock us with a, into laughter, not yeah. just shock us for the sake of shocking us. And the trick is, is well, here's the setup. Anna Ferris is awake and baking one day. Yeah. And, and she's got get the impression that she's done this quite a bit. Yep. But she has a list of things that she's got to do. She's yeah. got to pay the bills. She's got an audition that she's got to go to. And uh, she's decided that she's got to make these brownies because she eats all the brownies in the fridge, but because she, she's got the munchies. Weren't they cupcakes, but, actually? They're cupcakes, pardon me. She's going to re- she's gonna make more cupcakes to replace the ones yeah. she had out of the fridge. The catch was the ones that she had out of the fridge were completely laced with marijuana so on top of all the weed she already ate she ate like a half dozen toxic <laughs> she has cupcakes. so much THC in her body that it, her there's more THC than blood I'm sure at that point like it would have been hard work for her to watch TV for the rest of the day <laughs> so now she's got this obstacle and it is herself <laughs> yes <laughs> and like we say she's consistently making bad decisions I guess her plan initially seems solid right yeah oh it's brilliant in her own mind and the thing is that we sort of understand how she got from A to Z step one buy more weed well she has to replace the weed cupcakes so I guess that sort of makes sense but then she's got to figure out how to pay back the dealer and pay the power bill which she is and make this audition yeah and it's it's definitely a movie of sort of chapters and like this herculean exhausting quest that she goes on yeah and anna ferris has this sort of bewildered classy-eyed expression and she's trying so hard but she is debilitatedly stoned (laughs) and it's hilarious (laughs) it is a well-rounded well-executed character i will say that kudos both to the screenwriter and also uh, Anna Ferris for really sort of hitting you know out of the park. She is by far one of the greatest stoner characters in all of filmdom. I I will say that her character is great. It's it's not the duh character that we're gonna see from like Rory Cochran in in Dazed and Confused. Yeah. Or that you would see like the Sean uh, Penn character in yeah. Fast Times. Yeah. Like that's the default. What dude? What the hell, man? Like completely locked out. She's still. On a basic level, a fairly intelligent person. Yeah. But she is just... Everything is being seen through this filter of stupid. (laughs) And she's... It's like trying to juggle with one hand. Her critical thinking skills are definitely... (laughs) But it comes across that she's trying and that she's smart. She's not dumb. She's not just like a brain dead... Like, she's trying to navigate it. She's fighting her way through it. Yeah. And her struggle becomes our struggle. Like, we... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> we want her to, to, to do well and we lament all of these terrible decisions that she makes one of the more cringeworthy is trying to sell weed to the woman she was auditioning oh my God. see here's something else that I think the script does really well because there's certain points where I wonder if, if some of this was all you know some of this was in her head and then there's there's another version of that and we do get that one I kind of, like, did she actually try and sell weed <laughs> to the audition person? And then like, what else she sees? Please replace. Uh, also, like you say, interesting supporting characters. Uh, John Krasinski. Is yeah. this movie? And bravo for John Krasinski for doing this role, too. He's got a weird name, Brenner or Brenner? 
I can't remember. remember. Yeah. He's this hopelessly nerdy character. Yeah. I, I I almost cringe at how much I relate to some of the stuff in that character. Yeah. Like, the Danny Masterson character you're talking about was this easily make fun of old nerd. Like, he's a yeah. hardcore nerd, but yeah. he takes it way too seriously. Yeah. Like, there's the stuff he likes and everybody else is fucking stupid type of nerd, right? Yeah. And John Krasinski is more of this sort of, like, weird... Hapless... Kind of pathetic nerd. But even he has his, you know, breaking point with Anna Ferris. This is a brilliant sort of montage of, like, the the things that led to him falling in love with her. Which is another thing I didn't know that I need, but or didn't even know I wanted, but once again, brilliant. She does nothing to win his affection at all. She, in fact, a lot of the times she, she's, like, half asleep on the couch. But she just, doesn't she come out of, of a bathroom at once with, like, toilet paper? <laughs> like, sort of... to like, her face. Yeah. Uh, but every time he sees her, he's just slowly falling more and more in love with her. Yeah. And it's one of these projection romances for some yeah. reason. He just represents something that he feels he can never have. Yeah. Um, and, uh, unfortunately, like she kind of uses this guy because she knows he likes him and she's having trouble navigating the world and he gets sucked into her vortex. It's yeah. kind of peripherally a victim of her misadventure. Yep. Yep. <laughs> um, I, another thing I'll say is the filmmakers really understood the pot subculture really well, but but also sort of the inner narrative dialogue that potheads can... Chain can, of logic. Chain of logic. I think they, they, they really got that bang on... There's a monologue, which I'll have you no word of a lie, I think is one of the best comedic monologues in the past decade at least. <laughs> I shout out to the writer, and I really should find the name of the man of the or at least the people that did this, who wrote this. Dylan Haggerty is the credited screenwriter on it. Okay. There's a monologue involving her where I think she's just chilling out finally. Amid all the chaos, she has a moment of sort of tranquility where she muses about lasagna I like lasagna and it then segues into like President Garfield Garfield the cat likes lasagna yeah maybe I should get a picture of President Garfield it's just this (laughs) it's it's so beautifully written and it's sort of just in a capsule it sort of signifies what this character really really is sweet innocent not good at making decisions (laughs) Just this, randomly she, spirals through life. She has to be in Venice at three o'clock, and she stumbles upon a sausage truck that's pointed south. Venice is south. I will hide in the back of the sausage <laughs> truck and have a nap, and assume it will drive me to Venice. <laughs> like, no, girl, no, <laughs> no. <laughs> no, no, or just. Uh, the shiny happiness, the optimism she has when she starts her day. Yeah. <laughs> she's like, she's way too stoned to drive, which was another hilarious scene yeah. of her trying to back her car out of the garage. <laughs> it was just brilliantly done. She, every time the car moves slightly, she feels like she's going <laughs> way too fast. And then she ends up trying to catch a bus and then being way too friendly. To, this is my first time taking a bus to Los Angeles. This is going to be amazing. <laughs> Doesn't she trip over like a little boy and breaks his airplane? His toy car. Yeah. Yeah. Everything goes bad, but we keep cheering for her. And uh, yeah. I guess this is where I'm going to step into spoiler territory. Okay. One of the many things that impressed me about Smiley Face is that 
it didn't end in the place that I was expecting. I thought somehow miraculously in the end she was going to pull this out or some circumstance would just fall into her lap which yeah. was going to undo all of these problems. Yeah. And nope. Nope. <laughs> nope. She loses her beloved bed. <laughs> she doesn't, you know, she... <laughs> right. I forgot about the bed because yeah. that becomes a focal point in the third act. Yeah. Her drug dealer who she owes money to, if she doesn't give him his money, he's going to come sell her furniture to get the money that he's owed. And she's yeah. living in terror of losing that bed. And it would almost be like if in The Big Lebowski. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's, they really tied the room together. She loved that. And you thought she would she would get it. But in the end, she's busted. Yeah. <laughs> she's busted. She wrote all her crimes. And she has to do like a sick amount of community service hours. Yeah. And it ends with her picking garbage on the yeah. side of the highway. Yeah. And in spite of that not being the ending that you want or expect, it feels appropriate. And we're not left in it's a place of like... It's the ending that she and I think the movie deserves. Yeah. And it's not... But it doesn't leave you feeling, oh, that sucks. You're not like, oh, shit. You still have a smile on your face at the end of the movie. You're just kind of nodding like, yeah. 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 yeah that's yeah. what happens. Right? Like, <laughs> maybe we wanted her to win in the end. And maybe, you know, that would have been the obvious option. But yeah. in the real world, when you consistently fuck shit up that much. When, ends up when you throw in the air up. this ancient communist text. <laughs> yeah. And essentially destroy, which would probably be worth hundreds of thousands if not a million dollars or something yeah um, yeah you're going to jail and kudos for them for going there because yeah. usually a lot of these pot comedies you know our heroes win you know d- despite ludicrous uh, or you'd think that at the end they just say at the last minute ah oh, you know what let's change this ending this ending's too down but they yeah. stuck with it and it works like yeah. I said I, I didn't feel like miffed that it didn't all work out it seemed weirdly appropriate and in a way she almost seemed okay with it <laughs> but yeah. having the cuffs put on all of her problems are gonna go away <laughs> and she can start with a clean sleeve and maybe do something with her degree <laughs> perhaps perhaps um I, I just sort of you know i love the ending i, I thought it would have been even funnier if, you know in her like sort of weird stone haze somehow have a matching outfit to a chain gang <laughs> she changed her clothes at least a couple of times in that movie she's and, not and just rewarded. in a stone haze wanders in and you know becomes part of the group but she's not rewarded for her behavior but yes. nor is she ever really a villain you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, she did. There's a couple of moments where I, I, I she yeah. makes bad decisions. But the first twenty minutes, it took me a while for her to like her. I'll say that much. <laughs> I can totally understand why the, her roommate officially hates her. <laughs> <laughs> He's so angry. He does that slow motion turn, showing his face. Anyway, um, we like smiley face. No, I I, I pleasantly surprised with smiley face. Uh, like I said. Uh, I can believe this was the same uh, filmmaker as Doom Generation and Nowhere. Yeah, it will. It will. I, I have to reassess things. I guess. Yeah, um, I heard he's gotten better, yeah. and this is and this is proof that uh, he's gotten better. This is a very very funny movie. I was pleasantly surprised by it. Anna Ferris is great. Yeah. Um, it th- like there's a couple of brilliant monologues. I also don't. I, you want to sort of mention that scene in the meat factory? <laughs> uh, once again, I think it's a brilliantly written and executed scene of her. She tries to, to stir up union rights in, yeah. <laughs> in the sausage <laughs> yeah. factory and by it, giving a great speech, but 
It's not such a great speech. And in her mind, it's brilliant. <laughs> it's brilliant. But the reality, the execution, we see both sides. Yeah. Here's a question, and I, I, I tried to ask it. There are certain moments where you, we see a certain reality coming from inside Anna's Ferris's head. Mm-hmm. Do you think that's how she saw it or how it really happened? I think several times we're seeing her worst-case scenario manifesting. Yes. Like the skull fucking, like them, like the evidence do taking you, the bed away from her. Yeah, <laughs> things like that. Do you think she actually tried to sell weed to her um, person that she's ad- auditioning for, and she totally freaked I, out? I read that as straight. <laughs> Did you? Yeah. I, I, that was one of the questions I had for it. Is I wonder if there's certain things in this movie where she's you know, it's through her eyes and uh, not actually happening because yeah. we do get that scene later where we see <laughs> the speech through two different lenses. <laughs> Well, um, just and we see it in that scene when she gives the audition and she sort of convinces herself that she nailed it and she clearly yeah. <laughs> did not nail it. It just seemed her re- um what's the the actor's Jane name? Lynch. Jane Lynch's reaction seemed you know hugely over the top and I well, kind of wonder Jane if... Lynch. <laughs> I don't want to tell you. Okay. She's funny, but she's 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 not a subtle actress, never has been. And I kind of liked her playing that super 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 straight character. Yeah. Like <laughs> No nonsense doesn't say it. She just doesn't suffer fools at all. And she okay. marks Anna Ferris as a fool and instantly hates her. Yeah. <laughs> That's kind of how I read her. She yeah. just, they were not going to get along. I think even if she'd come in there stone cold sober, <laughs> she wasn't going to get that audition. Fair but enough. again, for me, it's the little things. <laughs> I love at the very beginning after she realizes that the <laughs> that she's been, she's drugged herself with all the cupcakes. Yes. She says, I need to make a plan. <laughs> And then her face just rests, and then this caption comes up, and it says, 19 minutes later, later. <laughs> and she hasn't moved. <laughs> that makes me laugh. Yeah. I guess I kind of got resurrected. What? You had him tell me you were dead? Well, all right, I'm sorry about that, but there weren't no other way for me to get you to come down here. Here's the thing. If I don't get up to Tulsa, I'm going to be in some real trouble. I need you to be me, just like we used to back at home. We don't even look alike anymore. Has that occurred to you? What do you think? You've given yourself the stupidest haircut in human history. So Bolger says you're a famous banker. Be real famous. And they pay you for that? Yeah. She's a poet. I tried to get her and Colleen a three-way once, but wouldn't neither of them go for it. This here's where I keep it alive. <laughs> hey, hey. How is it possible that you are so brilliant and so ignorant at the same time? Mm, I don't think so. No? You know what you was getting into with him, and he sure ain't going away. So, now you want me to be nice. You got a higher IQ than your brother, and he just passed you by. So I liked him Blake Nelson. Yeah. Like, I like him as an actor. Uh, I've seen three of his films now. Mm-hmm. Um, I can't remember the name of the first one, but he has the, this other one. It was an adaptation of his own play called The Gray Zone, mm-hmm. which just devastatingly heavy Holocaust drama, right? And the previous film had to do with a, a really grisly crime. I think it was inspired by true events. Uh, so he also did Oh. Oh, that's right. He did that Othello, high school Othello adaptation. Um, but typically grim subjects yeah. for him. So it was kind of interesting to see this sort of lighter, at least as as advertised, much lighter thing. Uh, that's the thing. Leaves of Grass sort of presents itself as sort of a 
uh, almost romantic comedy involving a couple of twins, uh, a, a pair of twins played by Edward Norton, who haven't talked to each other in a lot of years, and who, uh, upon coming, whose lives intersecting again, uh, has a whole bunch of terrible consequences. Mm-hmm. Um, some of them good consequences, some of them bad consequences. Uh, it was advertised as a comedy. It's much more of a drama. And even though one of the brothers makes... It's almost a fable in, in some sort of ways. One of the brothers makes his living um, growing weed and helping a, a big crime enterprise. So he's mm-hmm. owed a lot of money to sort of flourish. Um, he's being pressured to up his game and start selling other drugs. Mm-hmm. And since his wife has become pregnant and he doesn't, he's not interested in anything outside of weed, he wants out. And he needs to use his twin brother in the scheme he has to get mm-hmm. out. The smart thing about the movie is that we don't know what the scheme is. We just watch it unfold. And as it unfolds, it becomes increasingly surprising. <laughs> like, what's going on? Mm-hmm. I think the problem with the movie is its slow burn and its uncertainty of what it is. Uh, because I don't know what it's what I'm watching, and it takes a full hour of the movie for me to kind of understand what the movie is, mm-hmm. uh, I think a lot of people might be tempted to give up on the movie prematurely. And I encourage you not to do that. <laughs> mm-hmm. I think once the narrative really goes into full gear, it really, really works. Mm-hmm. But this is a movie that is walking, not running. It's—I mm-hmm. it, guess it's got a stoner pace to it. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's not—it's got thrilling elements, but you couldn't call it a thriller. It's got romantic elements, but you couldn't call it a romance. Uh, of all the things to sell the movie on, though, weed seems kind of random. Um, I, well, I think it's more of a, a philosophical movie. I, this is the kind of film that I think first-year uh, philosophy majors would sort of, you know, see late night, you know, at their house on a Saturday. I think everything you need to know about this movie or what happens in this movie is in that opening monologue that that the opening that the one brother, um, Bill, I think his name is. The uh, educated, uh, yeah. well, uh, school teacher. He's, yeah, Bill he's, Kincaid is the character's name. He teaches classic philosophy yeah. and literature. Yeah, he's talking about this play written by Socrates, uh, where um, you know these two great theorists, philosophers, teachers, uh, Alcibiades and Plato. No, Socrates. Sorry, it's a Plato play, but it's Socrates and Alcibiades having this discussion in between. You know, the, the rational man and the passionate man. Right. And no matter how hard the rational man, you know, argues and, you know, has his life, you know, organized and thought out and somewhat executed. And, and, and he's achieved divinity, if you will. The passionate man, the passionate man comes along and it's he's more chaos. And the chaos sucks, sucks them both up. I.e., you can plan your life, to, you know, straight to a T, but life will always find a way, blah, blah, blah. And that's what, that, that's what this movie is. It's exploring that whole idea that you think you're in control of your life, but really... You know, it it comes along and goes. It's interesting. Both of the twins are hyper intelligent. Yes, in their own way. Yeah, but they're very different. And, yeah, uh, the movie does a good job of getting over the wow factor of Norton playing both the characters. You believe it right away, and you don't get distracted by yeah. how did they. And that's how it. good that performance is. Yeah. It's, the it's not easily done, and they have more tricks they can use nowadays, but. I even remember in things like Dead Ringers and Adaptation, mm-hmm. I could almost sort of get just distracted, like, how are they getting that shot? And even stuff like that mm-hmm. disappeared for me very quickly. I just accepted them as twins and didn't, it didn't 
I wasn't I wasn't distracted by that. You know, it's, sometimes it's fun to rewatch like the Lord of the Rings and look at all the force perspective shots yeah. because you forget that most of the shots in those movies would involve some sort of camera trickery. So you can get bogged down in technical stuff. But yeah. this movie is still interesting enough to not let it. But uh, again, I, I, I'm talking about it as if it's a flaw, but it, I think that because it's a very literate mm-hmm very educated movie. It is also a loving tribute to that uh, poem um, Leaves of Grass by Walt Whitman. So there is that as well. It's a movie that feels like a play. Maybe I'm sensitive to it because I just made a movie that feels like a play in some ways. Yeah. Uh, um, the characters pontificate. They talk about lives and, they, mm-hmm. and then like the parallel lines conversation being mm-hmm. his... De- uh, idea of defining God it's a concept that we can describe but that we can't see mm-hmm. there's depth to it mm-hmm. no I, I, I think out of all six of these movies it's by far the, the most well written out of all of them um, it's also very unpretentious in its sweetness as well I, I never think you know even I don't the think I could call it unpretentious I think at times it borders on pretentious really? <laughs> I like the movie don't get me wrong um just interesting choices. Uh, okay. The, the, the twin calls a, gets his brother to come visit under false pretenses. He's told, sure. told this lie that he's been killed. And what's the lie he tells? Do you remember? That he, that he was killed and... He was killed with a crossbow. Ah. Uh-huh. And then later on in the film, his he's twin a... brother is almost killed with a crossbow. Yeah. It's like a little, little narrative Kai. And his lie became a reality eventually. Yeah. But it didn't need to be there. It was just another sort of a very. It's a very literary choice, right? Okay. I think there's a lot of literary moves in this yeah. film. It's yeah, uh, and and that the, there's goods and bads to that. But I think that it, it it does want to hit you on a lot of levels and a lot of sides. And some people that will read as pretentious. And in some ways, these these philosophical discussions are simultaneously what makes the movie more interesting mm-hmm. but they're also what slows down the movie it's also why it doesn't really work as a thriller i don't really i never once saw it as a thriller there's definitely i would call it like a crime movie in some ways and so there are there there are moments of jarring violence as well because yeah. um, this was my second time watching the movie too so i knew going into yeah. it what the plan was yeah he wants to use his twin brother as an alibi so that he can kill the man who's threatening his life and make it look like a hate crime and, mm-hmm. you know, cover his own bases. Um, you think that was really his plan? I, that I know it was absolutely his plan. Um, I, and it's interesting watching it the second time, how calculated it is. Mm-hmm. Um, they went in there, either this guy was going to say yes to their proposition or he was going to die. Right. Mm-hmm. And, uh, so all of a sudden he goes from a, like, he's doing this to, def- to, to protect himself, mm-hmm. but he is willing to commit murder. Yeah. And he's willing to involve his brother, right? Yeah. When his brother first gets there, you, you know, he talks him in, he wears him down, convinces him to smoke weed. Yes. And what I noticed watching it the second time, mm-hmm. he doesn't smoke weed once. He makes sure his brother smokes weed and gets really, really fucked up. Mm-hmm. And then he hits him with this plan, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, like he wears down his brother's defenses. You can see his this calculated plan. <laughs> I especially on the second time I honestly do feel like it's there. He doesn't see a way out of this life of crime as long as those guys are alive and he doesn't really believe that they're going to listen to reason. Mm-hmm. So short of 
faking his own life, death or, or spending the rest of his life on the run, he's got to kill these people. And the interesting thing is, is that everything that we see about this guy, he seems really pleasant and really effacing. Mm-hmm. And when that, that violence happens, there's a one scene role in this movie with Richard Dreyfus and these yeah, two. Yeah, I'm glad you're bringing up Richard Dreyfus because uh, I do want to talk about that. Uh, that 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 violence was so shocking and so jarring. Like all of a sudden, this is a different movie. Yeah. <laughs> all of a sudden, we just entered like a totally different movie, and we have to totally reassess that character. Yeah, which is great. These are yeah. all good things, but. Uh, until this point, the movie had been really charming and kind of light of touch. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and now, what is it? <laughs> right? It's a full blown crime thriller. Uh, here's a question I wanted to ask you about Richard Dreyfus. Richard Dreyfus is a great actor. Mm-hmm. I, he's, he, you know, starred or co starred in some of my favorite movies. His performance is very Shylocky. And I get the fact that he's Jewish. I just couldn't help think that there was like a racial stereotype that was going on with this performance I think they were playing that up and so was he though yes like it's implicit in his dialogue yes like everybody hates the Jews because the Jews are good with money well if that's the way you're going to think of me then I'm going to have all of the money and fuck you right yeah he's playing the role because that's the role that's expected of him yeah Uh, uh, um, but I don't think that's I don't think that, that that's really how the movie feels about Jewish people. No, and of course we have that one scene later uh, with the, you know the, the actor from Sons of Anarchy, who name currently escapes me. You see her earlier in that film clip when she's part of that news clip, if right. you will. Um, but it is very Shylocky, and I could understand why the PC crowd could, the, the hypersensitive PC crowd could be like. If you want to be offended by something, you will be offended by something. The fact that they included the Jewish heritage into it at all seems why why is that important? Well, it's important because they wanted to make it look like a hate crime and they hilariously didn't know how to draw swastikas. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It's just the fact that he's almost this like one note villain. Um, And it plays up such an anti Semitic stereotype. Yeah, honestly, it didn't bother me. I mean, like, I, I guess I can see what you're saying. I it felt it was a comment on it as opposed to just being it. But maybe I'm wrong. I mean, I, I don't, what, what would you mean a comment on it? I guess because that, like he says, this is what everybody expects. Okay, of me, so then this is what I'll be. This yeah. is it's uh, to go to the Shakespearean sort yeah. of example. Uh, uh, well, you don't have to go to Shylock, but uh, the Titus Adronicus, the mm. the Moor in that one, he's expected to be second class. He's expected to be terrible. So then, if you think me a villain, then I'm going to be the most awful villain I can fucking be. Mm. Congratulations, mm. I'm going to make your life hell because fuck you. Okay, right? Uh, that's how he justified his evil, right? Yeah. Everybody has a personal philosophy. That's how I read it. Yeah. I mean, I no part of me thinks that Tim Blake Nelson said, I'm going to use this movie to fucking wag a finger at the Jewish culture. Okay? Yeah. <laughs> he made a movie about the Holocaust. <laughs> and, you know, <laughs> well, is he Jewish, Jewish himself? I, I don't know. I don't okay. Know. Anyways, it was just an interesting choice. Again, if it was I wasn't in a- offended by it, but I just kind of thought... You know, the highly sensitive PC crowd would take a crowd would take a look at that and kind of go, huh? 
It, it felt like, I mean, he's tight with the Coen Brothers, maybe I put that in. It felt like if that was in a Coen Brothers, I wouldn't have blinked at it, right? Yeah. That character. He's a bit of a cartoon. You could yeah. argue, argue that. It but is very cartoon. I don't think that's accidental. And there's some cartoon Hayseed characters that we meet here, too, as well. Um, Battle but, uh, Boy Steve of, Earle, by the way. Yeah. And, and then some of them that have surprising depth. Like, uh, Tim Blake Nelson himself plays a part as sort of uh, Edward, the, the pothead brother's right-hand man. And he looks like such a yokel, but some amazing shit comes out of his mouth. Yeah. And uh, he really feels like he owes this man a debt. And when that man dies and he doesn't pay it, he mourns that. Not yeah. just that his friend has died, but that he was never able to pay that debt back. Yeah. And no, there is that beautiful scene right after his funeral where Norton and uh, him are driving the car and he talks about the time that his brother saved him in jail. Yeah. That, that, that's a great, well-written, well-executed scene. And it pays off emotionally. Yeah. And then later when he's able to save the surviving twin's life... He sort of feels by proxy that that debt's paid. So, yep. and again, uh, it, there's an A B A plus B equals C sort of literary narrative loop that we follow yep. through that could maybe be called pretentious or more of a literary tactic than a film one. That's not a but description I would call it though. But it's satisfying. I liked yeah. it. Yeah. But uh, I just think some no, people. I loved it. There's there's a scene with Carrie Russell and Edward Norton. I'm really watching. She's really good in the movie too. Yeah, where she yeah, you even mentioned Susan Sarandon for God's sake. That's right. She's catching uh, fish in, in the yeah. swamp by hand and uh, quoting philosophy. Yeah, and it's it's a great interesting scene, and it's yeah. like you don't expect some chick who catch who caught a fish by hand to be quoting it. <laughs> and she's great. She's got She's it. got all of these layers to her. She can get a fish and she can quote philosophy, um, but most movies won't make room for either of those. This has both of them in the same scene. Yeah. Some people might think that's pretentious. I like it, but I, I could just say, I'm, I don't think the movie is, it, it is pretentious, but I would yeah. understand someone saying that there's that element to it. Okay. Um, okay people I, say that Coen Brothers movies are pretentious and I would defend it, but I understand why they say it. You know okay. what I mean? Yes. Yeah, I, I know what you're saying. Um, I, I, I thought it was just a very, a, a very sweet-natured romantic fable in a lot of ways it's also a love letter to Oklahoma although it's shot in a different state huh. um, and Susan Sarandon you said I guess yes. we should mention the mother who's prematurely he's very good at playing very good at playing Susan Sarandon I'm starting to think well I mean she's playing played a lot of matriarch roles it's yeah. true but she tries to bring something to them she's sort of prematurely put herself in an old age home and is like waiting out the clock and she hasn't had a conversation with her son, I think, in like 12 years or something, I say. I can't remember yeah. the exact timeline. And he basically says that she's failed him as a mother. Mm-hmm. That, yeah, she was his buddy and she made sure that he was fed, but that he didn't He didn't feel like she, she upheld her end of the deal. Mm-hmm. And he calls her on it. And that sort of goes largely un, <laughs> unresolved it's a tough scene that they have between her there's like there's no moment where they have that reconciliation the is, you get the feeling like at that time he's never going to see her again and by the end of the movie he's staying there and she's still part of his life but there wasn't that moment where they hugged it out and it was all made okay <laughs> you yeah. know yeah so uh it's interesting it very much a supporting role but but strong uh, and uniformly strong, but like of all the things to sell the movie, again, weed. <laughs> Why was it sold on that? <laughs> of all things, mm-hmm. Edward Norton giving a very strong, typically strong performance, two very strong performances yeah. in the movie. Narratively complex, sort of genres all over the place. Really hard to nail down this movie. Yeah. I really like it. I really like it. Um, 
but uh, I don't think it's for everyone. <laughs> I think it's it's for me for sure. <laughs> well, it, it is it is not your sort of stereotypical you know buddy pot movie. No. Um, it, I guess in that regard, um, you, you know, there's not a lot of like our two heroes doing a lot of stupid, stupid things. Yeah. I mean, the, there are bad decisions, but it's not a whole series of events of you know slapstick, floppy. No. In a list of juvenile comedy, things, yeah. our list contains movies like How High and Half. Yeah, and this feels—it's not a college movie no. or a college comedy in that regard. Its its sights are so much higher. Yeah, which puts it on a different level, which kind of makes it unfair in some ways. But uh, if you haven't seen it, and if this sounds like something that will appeal to you, it yeah. will. I, if it sounds like it would be a nauseating thing for you, then maybe maybe sit that one out. I, I also do love that scene where he, where the one brother finally does see the other ones grow up, and how it goes into exact detail. I want that machine, by the <laughs> way. <laughs> Holy cow! <laughs> that machine just woo! It's so well detailed, and he's explaining, and you're just like. Bow. Mad, mad, yeah, no, mad, mad. They, they both realize how genius they really, truly are. Yeah, and, and I think in that scene alone. So yes, go see Leaves of Grass. It's worth a watch for sure. This country is founded by people who were in the aliens, man. George Washington, man, he was in a cult, and the cult was in the aliens, man. You didn't know that? No. Oh man, they were way into that type of stuff, man. air from there, man. It's no good. It was the last day of school. Uh, Miss Crawford, I was thinking that maybe you and I can get together over the summer. I mean, it'll be legal. I mean, it, it was the first day of summer vacation. Do you guys know anything about a party here tonight? No, sir. It was a time they will never forget. There's a new fiesta in the making as we speak. I thought he was cute. Oh, that's disgusting. You thought he was cute? Do you realize when he graduated, we were like three years old? If only they could remember it. So Richard Linkletter, uh, very prolific, uh, independent filmmaker, mm -hmm. makes lots of movies. Uh, just to put out there, let's see. Um, the Before Sunrise, After Sunset, the, the, the Before Sunset sun, trilogy. The Before trilogy. Uh, trilogy, essentially. Suburbia, Waking Life. Tape, um, School of Rock, a surprisingly Bad mainstream, bears a surprisingly mainstream entry. But I'm, I'm mentioning these ones specifically. Yeah. Um, Bernie, of course, Boyhood, mm -hmm. um, Fast Food Nation. Mm -hmm. All of those movies directed by Richard Linklater. Scanner Darkly. Yeah, Scanner Darkly is a good, another good example. All of those movies directed by Richard Linklater. All of those movies I like more than Dazed and Confused. Okay. Here's the thing. I mean, like, it's not that I dislike Dazed and Confused, but it, it's this cultural... It's a big movie. Yeah. And what I get off when I'm watching Dazed and Confused is basically seeing a young version of a bunch of people that are going to conquer Hollywood making a movie before any of them are super famous. Okay. It is littered with people who are going to become super famous. Mm -hmm. And it's a charming coming-of-age drama. Mm -hmm. I don't think it brings a lot new to mm -hmm. the to the genre, but it, it definitely does a great job of expressing the vibe of the '70s mm -hmm. and expressing, you know, that we like the kids who are being victimized, we hate the bullies, mm -hmm. we we see the strata. I don't know if it's I'm getting cynical in my old age, but I've been less warm to movies that are simply built on nostalgia alone. Okay. Um, 
Another example, especially if they're not for me, by the way, American Graffiti, okay? okay. Uh, the Big Chill, okay. Dazed and Confused. Okay. These are all movies steeped in nostalgia for something that I was not a part of. Okay. So I understand why people love them. I understand that the... And I even understand that these are all good movies, mm -hmm. but they're never the ones that I really get passionate and excited about. Mm -hmm. I never feel the need to revisit the big show. <laughs> Okay. And I never feel that like I very recently bought a copy of this one for the move for this podcast, mm -hmm. and I mainly I didn't bring it up to say no 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 this is a good movie this is going to be a thumbs up review by the way yeah. I just think that Linklater has just improved his game like <laughs> consistently after it yeah. and this is the one that people seem to just love 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 mm -hmm. I think Waking Life is way better than this movie uh you know i think boyhood is amazing yeah <laughs> you know like uh it's a it's it is his reservoir dogs in a lot of ways it's like his establishing movie he'd made slacker before this but dazed and confused i think sort of solidified richard Lee it, it, it put him on the map uh, uh, you know as a filmmaker to watch I will say this about Linklater, he rarely makes the same movie twice That's or a second right. one genre, so bravo to, for him. So this was his coming-of-age comedy, yeah. and as the coming-of-age comedies go, it's fine. But that's where I leave it. It's fine. I don't think it's amazing. Yeah. I think it's fine. Did you ever see his Everybody Wants Him? I haven't seen that one. Neither have I, so I was just sort of curious if um, it was I, similar to that regard, because it is a, a, a nostalgia 80s movie. I also will make the unpopular argument, and this is something that people will disagree with me on, okay. that the movie is all about its supporting characters. Okay. I think our two leads, who are arguably Wiley Wiggins and Jason London, yeah. are the two weakest performances in the movie. Okay. It's just how I feel. I've never really thought Wiley Wiggins is much of an actor. Again, I'm being mean. He was Possibly. Like, he was picked out of nowhere to be in this movie when he was of age, and he's age-appropriate yeah. to the movie. But basically, he looks confused, and he rubs the bridge of his nose. Yeah. He looks the part, but he doesn't act the part. Well, Same with London. Part fine, uh, but... Like, uh, he's the pretty boy guy who's got everything going for him and we sort of witness a lot of the events through his eyes but I don't connect to him in the same way it's the smaller characters that I'm always interested in it's like McConaughey chewing the shit out of the scenery or mm -hmm. Rory Corcoran playing the hilarious stoner yeah. or again celebrity spotting Parker Posey fucking killing it yeah. as that bully cheerleader bitch you know Ben Affleck perfectly cast as that bully who just loves picking on people who are half his size yeah. you know like those are the moments that really connect to me the emotional arc of the movie and the main characters i i don't feel is connected to okay well what intrigues me about dazed and confused is how a film uh, can sort of change how you see it or at least respect it or even like it in, in some sort of way because i think back to my mother's face because we, we actually saw it together the first time at Broadway when it first came out. Right. Mom and I used to do this thing where, you know, she would choose one movie and then I would choose the next one. So she chose, you know, nice, respectable films like Remains of the Day mm -hmm. and Howard's End and whatnot. And, and I you would paid her back by making her sit through Natural Born Killers <laughs> and Seven. So, yeah. Um, and so we went to the Broadway and watched this. And for the first act of this movie, the first 35 minutes, she had this, like, scowl on her face. Oh, no. It wasn't the pot smoking. It, it was something else. And I finally clued into what it was. Because 
being young and I don't want to say naive in that regard, but you know, not not that aware or critical of it, was how almost mean spirited the first 30, 30 some minutes of this movie actually is. And it's done in a sort of romantic nostalgic, it's shown in romantic nostalgic uh, light, is the bullying in this movie. And that's something that really struck a chord. And it, and it, it's, it's really debasing. Um, the, as bad as the guys get it and they get assaulted, the, I think the women get it way worse. Well, and Parker Posey and Ben Affleck are really good at it because they're yeah. playing the joy in the bully. Like, yeah. they love doing this. They yeah. love it. Yeah. They're not playing it as evil. These aren't one-dimensional. Like, there's... Yeah, and uh, that could be something that connected to me personally too as well yeah. because we're not necessarily added to si- asked to side with those bullies yeah. but they're very much of that universe uh, are they we're being seeing. celebrated or acknowledged in some way <laughs> like they're being s- I wouldn't say celebrated because when ben, the Ben Affleck character gets his comeuppances you know everyone does laugh and goes ha 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 yeah, they're set up and, to take a fall and yeah. almost all of them do so yeah, yeah. but Posey Posey's character sure doesn't really she gets told off but it's it's a pretty minimal <laughs> consider, yeah. consider to her like <laughs> bitches speech at the yeah. beginning of the movie but yeah no it was the whole like, like the young women are you know drenched in garbage and egg well all kinds of things and then they're you know meant to sort of sit down and you know ask for other men's, you know, hands in marriage, and they're shown in this, you know, rather unpleasant light. It's very exploitive. And then there's the inside car wash scene, and I kind of thought, wow. We're not observing it, and I don't think Linklater is observing it. I think in some ways he's he's celebrating it. And I get the fact that... um, Froshing, you know, freshing or whatever. You fre- it was about. called freshing back in the day when I was in grade nine, and I got some of it. Not as bad as it is here. No, I think it was at a different level in the seventies. Yeah, and I'm yeah, and it's very authentic. But I do think it, it is celebrated, and, and that might undercut some of the comedy or the joy of it. Um, yeah. But again, I just, I think it's honestly executed, and I'll give it points for that. Yeah, no, I, I think it's honest. It, like like when bullies are just these uncomplicated one dimension shits. Yeah. The really thing that makes the bullies hateable is that they know what they're doing is awful. Yeah. And they love it. Yeah. And that's very rarely comes across. Yeah. Um, but again, I mean, it's a fair distraction because I think what he's going for here is this. Mm-hmm this is a sacred time in your life and whether you know it or not or whether you're miserable a lot like when you're a teenager everything is just so overwhelming it's such an ordeal to take care of it's very melancholy but yeah these are the greatest days of your life whether or not you know it or acknowledge it yeah drink it in motherfucker (laughs) yeah right and and that's very it's a very simple thing it's very simplistic uh, and again, this, uh, just as the nature of all the other movies I talked about, it sprawls over one evening. Yeah. We follow a bunch of characters, some of which we like, some of which we don't. Yeah. Uh, and uh, it's charming. Yeah. <laughs> that's uh, that's fine. That, but that's my review of the movie. <laughs> it's a lot of stuff of nothing really happens, but it's done. It, it's, its execution is uh, rather inviting. Yeah. Um, yeah, like I said, it, it loves its. Characters. It's a good companion piece to American Graffiti. I'd be sort of curious to see what would you know be the sort of equivalent of the '80s, and we haven't quite hit the nostalgia with '90s quite yet. 
And I think it could be running as perfect. I think one of the good things about the movie is that it loves all of its characters. Yeah. I think even I think what your maybe your mom was responding to is that mm. the, the movie even loves the bullies in a way. He remembers yeah. those bullies like, oh my god, what a fucking knucklehead. Mm. What an idiot. Yeah. Right? And at the time, pure villain. But if you're looking back through the lens of nostalgia, you just shake your head and it's like, Jesus, what a moron. Yeah. Right? Um, and that he, he deserves worse than that. right? Because he is worse than that. Mm-hmm. But uh, that's what nostalgia does. Mm-hmm. Um, but I was saying weed alone shouldn't sell a movie. And I don't think nostalgia alone should sell a movie either. And I also don't think that this movie is about weed. Like, No, it's all. not. No, it, at it, all. It's, it's, it's a, Characters it, smoke weed throughout the movie. It's here a character-driven piece. I, that, that, that's essentially the plot are the, are the characters. But look at one of the 20 editions that have been released for that on, on, on video. And it's always like the crooked smiley face. Yeah. Or like the, this like trippy kaleidoscope yeah. colors. So this is just like... It's it's sold as a pot comedy, and it's just not that. It's fine at being. There's what it a is. lot of weed smoking, but it's 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 not the allure. Yeah, no. The allure is again seeing this cast, seeing hey, there's Mila Jovovich yeah. for the first time ever. I think that, and also the soundtrack, the, the sort of sequence of music choices. Or another thing where a lot, I think a lot of the money was spent for the rights. If you want to close your eyes, think of the sort of gritty, you know brown pastel rock and roll age of the 70s and slowly jerk off yeah well then be my guest that's what dazed and confused was meant for (laughs) (laughs) Uh, i was one to four through the 70s so i don't have that personal connection to it Mm -hmm. and maybe they'll make this movie about the early 90s someday and i'll get all teared up about it and think it's the greatest thing ever but a lot of people just fucking love the movie it's just like this thing that they they'll have public screenings midnight screenings and it always it's just this worship movies and it's it's not the first one on the list that we're going to talk about that's got a lot of cult cred that uh, I think is maybe a little overrated again not bad when I say movies overrated I don't mean it's bad I just mean I don't quite understand that it's up on this high level everyone all right, to. All right. it's enough. sort of like uh, uh, the dark Knight being rated the fourth best movie of all time according to IMDB like, I really fucking like The Dark Knight, but it's not the fourth greatest movie of all time. No, Let's no, all the... fucking relax a little bit, okay? Okay, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, except, yeah. It wouldn't, it wouldn't make my top ten. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So, uh, same sort of thing here. I get why people like Dazed and Confused. I think it's a good movie, but everyone else in the world, so don't take my word for it, seems to think it's a great one. Good enough? Good enough. The number one cash crop in America isn't wheat, isn't soybeans, isn't, well, legal, and will cause the following effects on you and your friends. Yo, I don't know whether I'm sitting down or standing up. <laughs> sitting. All right, how do I stand? Sudden, violent, uncontrollable laughter. <laughs> Are you going to be all right? Total inability to direct thoughts. I'm not. Uh, would you talk? I, uh, uh. Good morning. Is anybody awake yet? And often ending. Would you look at that? Don't say anything. In hallucinations. Exactly. All right. Exactly. Are you going nuts or something? <laughs> guys, you're such amateurs. It's what our nation fears. It smells like a skunk. That's the smell of money, my boy. <laughs> it's what California voters call uh-oh medicine. That's a huge statement. You know what I mean? So at the risk of being this uh, reviewer who's constantly repeating himself, <clears throat> of all of the things to sell homegrown on, mm-hmm. the weed aspect seems weird to me. Okay. Like, um, I think you have an amazing cast here. 
mm-hmm. and a fairly interesting premise and story. Mm-hmm. Uh, the weed could be replaced with anything, but like for whatever reason, again, it's sold as this weird sort of pot comedy, where in the end of the day, I don't think it's a pot comedy oh, at all. It's a crime thriller. <laughs> Well, or, or dramedy again we're sort of in a similar the leaves of grass territory here where it's sort of seen to seeing meanders and is what it wants and, and maybe that's the pothead aesthetic that it, it does kind of have this sort of we'll get there when we get there sort of feeling to it mm-hmm. but uh, it's got a great ensemble cast um, Billy Bob Thornton Hank Azarian Ryan Philippe are these guys who are babysitting this field of marijuana in the middle of the woods mm-hmm. and uh, their boss California woods yeah their boss John Lithgow is flying in to say hello when he is unceremoniously executed by the helicopter pilot mm-hmm. and his corpse is left there and they've flown away and they figure what the fuck are they going to do mm-hmm. well they were tasked with bar- with guarding and, and growing these, these plants for the summer and they were expecting to get a payout out of that mm-hmm. so at a minimum they want that so what starts out as a plan to initially take enough to pay themselves and get out of there slowly starts to snowball when they realize that no one's come to claim the body and no one's come to claim the pro- the crop mm-hmm. perhaps they have an opportunity here mm-hmm. so again everybody starts in a shady place in this movie everybody is shades of gray mm-hmm. um but i think we like these three characters because we feel like they're on the ropes the whole time mm-hmm. So, not, not to, you know, put the cart before the horse here. Uh, for me, when we get the final payout, which mm-hmm. as it plays out is kind of dramatically interesting, mm-hmm. it sort of subsequently flattens the tires of what's going on. That All of the stakes in the movie aren't really stakes at all. Um, but not in a charming way in, like, Bunny was never really kidnapped in The Big Lebowski, but mm-hmm. in these guys are regularly terrified and fearing for their lives, and at no point are they in any danger. <laughs> any real danger, yeah. <laughs> and uh, I, that kind of bummed me out, in a way, at the end. It just seemed they went through so much. For it to be all over nothing makes almost everybody involved in it less likely. Well, I think by the time the thieves, you know, try and... What are they called again? Uh, the Raiders? That the Raiders, yeah, they're called the Raiders. Yeah, they are in sort of mortal peril, danger at yeah, that point. Yeah, they do have that one run and gun fight. And there's that quite terrifying scene where it really looks like they're going to be buried alive <laughs> by this psycho executioner. Yeah. But... Again, uh, as the we'll get to the end, maybe we'll we'll, we'll wait before we actually spill it. But when we yeah. find out everything that that there is to know, mm-hmm. um, the secret that they were trying to keep was not a secret to anybody that they mm-hmm. were interacting with. It was some strange, bizarre, unlikely litmus test. Mm-hmm. Um, it's Stephen Gyllenhaal directed it. He hasn't done a handful of movies, but he is interestingly the father of Jake. Gyllenhaal and, and Maggie. Maggie Gyllenhaal who yep. both show up in little very but can you miss some cameos in this yeah. movie yeah. and he's plugged into Hollywood in, in some ways and he's got some interesting actors here um, this is Billy Bob Thornton right around the time that he was sort of popping hot and it's strong yeah. and uh, it's kind of one of his sort of phoned in sedate performances like he has this interesting thing where he's corrupted by the potential power he's given he sort of starts off like a good old fella and he kind of gets gets kind of greedy and corrupted by the amount of wealth that is put in front of him. Mm-hmm. Hank Azaria, on top of, you know, being that guy from The Simpsons, is actually a very solid performer and actor, and he has a lot of range in what he can play. Mm-hmm. And he makes a character who, again, could be quite unlikable, fairly layered. 
Ryan Philippe is the newbie who consistently does things wrong, but we don't hate him. He's, you know... Because uh, he's young. He's, he's 20 years old. At least the character is. The worst crime he does is sleep with the Kelly Lynch character and you totally understand why he's yeah. sleeping with the Kelly Lynch. You'd almost be like, way to be, bro. I gotta say, Kelly Lynch is pretty fantastic in the movie. She's a really strong character mm-hmm. and she is smoking hot. and She had to be well in her 50s when she's doing this movie. So, like... Uh, 40s at least late 40s early 50s somewhere there, and, uh, super she, hot super strong super like she couldn't be 50 because she'd be in her 60s by now uh, everybody's compliments anyways yeah. we don't want to get sidelined by how hot she was but like yeah. everyone compliments Helen Mirren for, for keeping hot well into her old mm-hmm. age I think Kelly Lynch is aging well can we say that safely yes, <laughs> yes. hashtag me <laughs> <laughs> um no, she's really strong in the movie. I actually really like yeah, her. Yeah, no, it's she's a great character. She's always been a kind of underused actress in a lot of ways. She's not always in good movies, but she's usually good in the movies yeah. that she's in. Um, so as they realize they have this opportunity to sell, they have to figure out how they're going to do it. Mm-hmm. And they have certain connections, but they don't know the who's and what's of how things run. But this community, this underground community, is basically run on an engine of marijuana. Mm-hmm. Um and uh, a lot is invested in it. And there are a set amount of rules. And the John Lithgow character broke those rules and paid the ultimate price. By trying it. to sell outside that community, yes. Yeah. So, Spoilers. Yeah. Um, I think for me, uh, when the end credits finally rolled on Homegrown, and if this plot sounds familiar to you, especially you film buffs, it is The Treasure of Sierra Madres, this movie. Right. That's, that's essentially what it is. Especially the... Uh, with weed. Well, that's what it is, yeah. really. Yeah. Uh, especially uh, when it gets to the point where they're all sort of kind of trapped waiting in that house. And, you know, th- at this point, you know, the crime caper or whatever, the, the crime narrative throughout the movie, it's starting to really unravel for these characters. And it's really by their own paranoia and, and doing where they, they sort of start turning against each other. Well, no, they do turn against each other. It's, but. I guess I will just end up skipping right to it because when we find out that the entire community basically wanted to see what they would do it was like a test really mm-hmm. and they saw well they tried to keep it or they tried to sell it outside of the community they didn't come to us for help mm-hmm. I didn't buy that I didn't buy that at all like they, they didn't know that these people had killed John Lithgow but mm-hmm. like they knew that their lives were at stake they were looking yeah. for a way out and having a big pile of money would help them get out yeah um just expecting that they could take this proposition to the these people and that that, that would be okay and that that was the right thing to do it would work out for them mm-hmm. was beyond naive it would be like walking into gunfire as yeah. far as they were concerned yeah. as that being like some sort of trust test some litmus test that's ridiculous to me well i don't think so, it was a test i think it was revenge on on the one john lithgow character well, for just, selling them up yeah that's why he was killed but yeah. as far as like the people who were working the fields there lithgow's guys yeah they didn't kill those guys because yeah. it was lithgow who was breaking the rules they just yeah. waited to see what those guys would do yes. if they did the right things they'd be one yeah. of the boys yeah. and if they did the wrong things they wouldn't be yeah. But, like, the right thing to them would basically just be to offer us the weed, even though you didn't know it was that we were the master manipulators, right? Mm-hmm. And that, that that's an incredibly dangerous thing. You don't just walk up to a gangster and ask, offer to sell them a field of fucking weed, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's, it's 
so that they, that was their test and that they failed and that the in the end nobody gets the weed and they sort of hang their heads and see look what we've become mm. not satisfying yeah and that's frustrating because up until the point i was with the movie and finding it fairly satisfying mm-hmm. it wasn't what i expected it to be because again it was vaguely advertised as sort of a charming fargo-esque pot comedy mm-hmm. and it's much more of like these characters becoming corrupted by greed you know mm-hmm. they sort of seem kind of cute sweet good old boys at first but uh they don't deal with this problem well but it was put upon them, you know they didn't start out this way <laughs> no. and the, the end that nobody wins but nobody loses it's like well where did we go where what have we learned it's yeah. the end of burn, burn after reading you know what does it all mean yeah in the end what was the point what was the what was the nexus of homegrown what were we to take away from it and i guess it has to be the characters and we have to enjoy spending time with them i did but i'm a movie buff mm-hmm. you know i can get behind kind of a meandering movie yeah uh I think in the end it's just okay, but it had the potential to be so much more than that. Well, it's just because the tone is kind of uh, all over the place with this movie. Um, it's it sort of stuck between us, almost like a Three Stooges-esque type comedy, but it's so much a crime thriller, like w- even more way so than, than you, you, know, you mentioned earlier, Leaves of Grass. Like this is more of a crime thriller, but the stakes... I never really feel that they're in great immortal danger with these three. There's that one scene with yeah. the, when, when Billy Bob Thornton had to dig up the body. Yeah. And they told him to lay down and threw them inside the grave. And yeah. the guy basically said, Yeah. You guys talk about this ever again to anybody. Not because I'm being paid to, but because I want to. I will personally come here, yeah. gut shoot you, and leave you in the fucking trees. Yeah. I felt that, like, I believed that they believed that their lives were in serious danger. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, and th- that's the thing. The movie works because it has stakes. And when you find out that they never had stakes, it kind of retroactive. Again, the round two is just all about the characters, right? It's all yeah. about just enjoying them. And I don't mean to be mean to Billy Bob Thornton because generally speaking, I do think he's a really good actor. Yeah. But I've seen him in enough movies that there's sometimes where he's Billy Bob Thornton is really like <laughs> crawling inside of a role. And there's another times where he's learning his lines in the trailer beforehand and getting through it, right? And this seems to be one of them. This seems to be one of those. Yeah. It makes you wonder what he found interesting about it to begin mm-hmm. with. but Because uh, I think his character's allowed the biggest arc. Like, <laughs> Hank Azaria goes from kind of an asshole to kind of a bigger asshole to realizing he was an asshole and regretting it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Whereas Billy Bob goes from being, you know, sharper than he looks and, and savvy to kind of wanting to be the asshole that put him in this position mm-hmm. and that could have been more interesting but he seemed a little sleepy in the role to me yeah. uh, there's an interesting one scene role from Ted Danson he gets to be our one scene bad guy in this movie the way that not the first time he's done that too though yeah. I, I think of that to one Lawrence Ke- Mumford Mumford yeah. he's got that really chilling monologue yeah and he can he can he can bring he can bring the asshole. He, he also more, seems to be I guess maybe because he's got all bring that, the menace is, yeah. is a sort of a better way to describe. He's got it. all the the cheers money. He doesn't really have to work unless he wants to. But I think he he could be a Bond villain or something if he wanted to. Yeah, you know? I think he would be an interesting Bond villain. Um, that's just an interesting another connection to the Leaves of Grass, like you were saying. It had that one scene villain role from mm-hmm. Dreyfus, and this has the Ted Danson. Mm-hmm. Uh, and again, it was just that that switch between a guy who could 
really, really be threatening to then be really, really, really warm and just switch that on and off and have it not mean anything to him. Mm -hmm. So you don't feel safe in the room with the guy ever. Uh, and the, again, John Bon Jovi, totally decent supporting role. Do you remember when Hollywood was trying to make John, Bo John Bon Jovi a movie star? I don't think he sucks in the movie. No, he fine. does it. He does it. I, that was like the one, you know, looking at my notes for this film, that was one thing I typed out. It's like, do you remember when Hollywood was trying to make John Bon Jovi, you know, a lead action star? Like U571 or... I don't think he's amazing, but I don't think he sucks. Again, no. a lot of the times it's like when, uh, what was the name? The guy, Bush, uh, was in Constantine. He had like the Bush Axe or whatever the hell that. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I can't remember the name of the actual musician, but he uh, he had a couple Gavin of scenes. Rostin. Gavin Rostin. He was in the he had a couple of scenes in, in in Constantine, and he just looked uncomfortable on mm -hmm. camera. And that happens a lot of times when you cast a musician in a part that you needed an actor. And I, I saw an actor here. I didn't necessarily see John Bon Jovi, but nor was I. Wow, that was amazing, right? Yeah. It's very much a peripheral supporting role. Jamie Lee Curtis, our favorite scream queen, shows up here as sort of the the queen of Hemp City. Yeah. Uh, the one who, who swats their noses and scolds them for not being loyal to a community they didn't fully understand existing. Yeah. <laughs> so... It's kind of a mess, but it's an interesting enough mess. I, I, I wouldn't call it a mess. I would just call it, you know, a falsely advertised movie. Because uh, it was better than what I, what I remembered. I remember the first time I saw it years and years ago, I was not impressed with this film. And it's, it was, it's one of those weird 90s crime thrillers that... They film noir crime thriller almost in a lot of ways. Like, like Blood and Wine, that one Jack Nicholson movie, or... Um, there was another Woody Harrelson, Elizabeth Shue film noir mystery movie. Um, Palmetto. I think it was. Well, I think it was Palmetto. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, 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 that's what it is essentially. Um, and and that was another question I had is like, what is a stoner movie? Because there's a couple of them that, that I do think are falsely advertised. Days of Confused being one of them, and and this being another because it's not really a comedy. I think sell it on the cast. Sell it on the drama. Sell yeah. it on the crime. Yeah. Why, of all things, the weed? Very strange choice. But here's another thing, and I thought, why isn't there more movies about the growing industry, especially right now when it, when it's considered illegal? Right. And I think I sort of get my answer why is just because, I don't know, man, maybe pop movies can't be these sort of gritty crime thrillers, at least not successfully. Uh I don't think this film is, you know, like stinky, terrible, terrible. But, you know, if there would be one sort of through storyline or criticism of this movie is that the tone is back and forth all over the place. Cause it's... Whatever it needs to be for this next scene. Okay. That's that's kind of the vibe of the movie, right? Yeah. And the movies that I love are that way. The Big Lebowski is kind of that way. It just goes wherever it needs to go from moment to moment. Mm -hmm. But I'm much more engaged by that story and those characters, and I think it kind of pays off in a way that's more amusing to me. Okay. Um, it's fine. Yeah. Yeah. No, that, that's, that, that, that could be the, the tagline. Baby, you are the you first got? member of this family no, to go to that. college. But six years at a two-year community college is not what I had in mind. Tell the truth. Here. Mm -hmm. They've always had high aspirations. All I want to do is develop my herbal in a real lab. Now they're taking a shot at higher education. 
Congratulations. These yes. scores are going to get you into any college in the country. Join us at Reparations Technical Institute and learn hatred for the white devil in a relaxed campus atmosphere. Next. Taking a vow of celibacy. Next. Harvard. Music, artists, and the women. Mmm. Yeah, I gotta roll up that dog. Is that good? This institution has graduated countless Fortune 500 CEOs and six presidents. Yeah. Method Man is Silas. Are we in the right place? We got a black man for a teacher. What's up, bro? Red Man is Jamal. This is crew. Jermaine. The name's Jamal, and I'll mess your crew up. It's rowing, Jimmy Jam. N.W.A. Hey, what you know about that? I am down with you, man. You East Coast? I far East Coast. I'm from Wisconsin. Oh. Just be cool, and you might have some fun this semester. That? I need money. Okay, but what's his name? I need money. So, uh, like, now we're getting into a couple of proper stoner comedies. Yes. Like, these ones were advertised as pop movies because they are largely pop movies. Yeah. And the, the base. Let's start off with hits, hits from the bong. Yeah. How high wants to make you laugh? That's 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 what they're setting out to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's sort of like a buddy pot comedy. These guys, through ridiculous circumstances, have a ghost that helps them cheat their way into Harvard. Yeah. And they have a bunch of pot-related adventures in mm-hmm. Harvard, getting to know you back to school kind of stuff. Your typical Animal House movie. Um, and I have to say, it definitely has a handful of moments where I did laugh out loud. Mm-hmm. Generally speaking, mm-hmm. as far as movies aging, uh, this has got a real cult crowd around it. And mm-hmm. good news to the cult crowd around it, they're shooting a sequel to it as we speak, apparently. Really? Um, or the, it, it's in the works. The, there will be a Hell High 2. Not looking forward to it, personally. Okay. I think this movie's already started to show its age pretty badly. Okay. And I really wish... I liked our main characters more than I do. <laughs> okay. Um, okay. Uh, I think they're I think very my cute. Favorite, I think they're very cute. My favorite character in the movie is the ghost. <laughs> um, it, and it, it, the beginning set up where, you know, Method Man is this drug dealer and he has this buddy who's like, said, I love you, man. I'm always going to be there for you. Like, I get hit by a bus. I'm going to be there for you. And then, of course, he has I a hilarious... Back, yeah, I got yeah, your yeah. back. And he has a hilarious death sequence. It is hilarious. His, his joint sets his fake dreadlocks on fire. He dives out of a window and then is hit by a bus. It's very slapstick and over the top. <laughs> but Method Man and Red Man, I don't know anything about their music. All I know of them is, is basically... Well, I, I, I think isn't one of them part of the Wu-Tang Clan. Sure. Um, I don't know. I don't know them... Like I'm not I'm not literate in that okay. area, so I don't know their music background. Mm-hmm. I just know them as these characters, and what they are is sort of pro- projecting that sort of hip hop attitude. And part yeah. of that is the consistent objectification of women. Okay, throughout the movie, it is. The, I, I will say this: this movie is very un PC. Uh, and at the, I, at the time not, it was funny yeah. honestly some of it now not funny <laughs> like 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 I don't think they could get away with it now I, in the definitely me too area yeah can nope. you get me a girlfriend without a gag reflex I wish you had the uh, an ass like that on the front and the back so I could slap both sides yeah some of the lines that come out of their mouths and that is played off as funny and now and 
and I know our culture has shifted and maybe I'm more sensitive to it than I would be. Mm-hmm. It's like these guys cheated their way into Harvard are shitty to a bunch of people who are bending over backwards to be nice to them and are, you know, objectifying. They, 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 they sleep with these virgins and then release tapes of them to the camp, sell it on campus as pornography then basically set up themselves as pimps and drug dealers in Harvard with very little, like they have a slapstick over the top, crusty old dean that hates them and wants to get rid of them that is is foil for all of their hijinks. But Mm. I appreciate that you bought this movie for you and I appreciate that there's an audience for it. And I understand that these underdogs fighting the system is something that's been done before very successfully as a template. Mm -hmm. I laugh guiltily a few times through how high. But in the end of the day, I don't think I like it. Okay. <laughs> and I know that's not a popular opinion. A lot of people, there's a cult audience around it. Mm-hmm. I feel like I should like it. I really like Half-Baked, which isn't that different a movie. Mm-hmm. But there's something about the attitude of these guys. I just don't like them as much. Like, their their motivation seems... Well, the, the, the humor, it, I, I think... Crass, yeah. You know, it is... Yeah, it is very, very crass. It is very un-PC. Uh, I'm thinking of another movie like PCU that's sort of similar and released roughly within 10 years of each other. I think... Um, it's, like... a, it's a college movie. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, yes, it, it's of its time of that early 2000s. I'd be curious to see how the American Pie movies are now seen. I was thinking about Superbad. Yeah. Uh, Superbad is different. Like Superbad is a lot more coming of age. Yeah, and it works in Superbad for me because they're naive kids who are just desperate to get laid and they don't know what they're doing. There's and also far less objectification of women in that movie. They, I mean, there's not none, but like, but like far less, far less. It isn't as open and crass and gratuitous. It's not how can I fuck this girl and then toss her away, right? Mm-hmm. And that's kind of the attitude there. Mm-hmm. And the, the fact that they do think that they're better than everybody else around them, whereas the characters in Superbad know that they're fucking losers, right? Yeah. They start in such a place where everything is handed to them, where they have no obstacles, and they think that they're super awesome and cool. And uh, they don't really, like I say, their obstacle is not really an obstacle. Is, the, is Dean Kane ever a threat to them in any way, like no. seriously? Yeah. And again, this is a Revenge of the Dirt Nerds atmosphere. And I feel like, I remember watching it, like, I'm overthinking this. Just fucking relax and laugh at the stoner comedy, Larry. Yeah. But they kept on fucking bucking me off. <laughs> okay. okay. So uh, that's my case. I know that you like this movie. I apologize. And I do appreciate that you gave it to me, but... Uh, Please. Well, how high? <laughs> how? Okay. Well, I'll say this. I sort of admire the fact that, especially right now, uh, like the world of comedy, that these movies will not exist because they are so politically incorrect. From you know, one of the characters wearing a Pocahontas outfit to the obje- the open the very open rampant sexism of, of the movie. Like it is hard to watch, and I can totally understand why women would never touch this with a ten foot pole. But I can go for a raunchy comedy, is yeah, the thing. But no, it is it is pretty misogynistic. Yeah. So, you know, um, I get why you wouldn't like it, and I can understand, you know, a good portion of people not liking it. Um, I, here's something that, that I've sort of wrestled with, because my favorite character uh, is actually, the you know, Baby Powder. Played, the ghost. Yeah, no, 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 Mike Epps, the, the pimp. Oh, the pimp. Oh, yeah. right, right. Him he and his, his side... hands pounded before he slaps yeah, people. Yeah, him and his sidekick, sidekick who's half a pimp. Um, 
walking, talking cartoons, you know, practicing, where's my bitches? Mm-hmm. Um, it is, in a lot of ways, it, it is trying to be a cartoon of a movie, and, and that's why it's very similar to Half-Baked in that regard. I think one is very successful in doing that, another not so much. And it is part of because I, I really just... like that, the guys in Half-Baked. They're yeah. idiots, but yeah. I like them. Yeah. I found it really hard to like, especially those two main characters, and I was surprised. I thought they were cute enough for me. Yeah, um, yeah there's some mean spirited. I do love the, f- you know, I, I I love the fact that they can wake each other up to like Ramstein and. <laughs> Again, there are moments, yeah. and I, I do want to say this: there are great moments. Yeah. I fucking laughed out loud the scene where they, I think it's their midterms. Yeah. And they're smoking the dope that's going to bring the ghost in mm-hmm. there, mm-hmm. and he's not showing up, and then he shows up, and he's like, "You mind? You guys didn't study." Come on, you gotta do this, you gotta learn, you gotta do this up, and then he disappears for a while. They're like, yeah. oh fuck. And he's like, ah, I'm just fucking with you. <laughs> if you thought for a second there was a lesson to be learned in this movie, and that's fine. I don't want, yeah. I didn't watch How High to Learn Anything, yeah. right? But that moment was great, and I really liked that character. I thought, like, yeah. he was consistently funny. The ghost really did it yeah. for me. Um, like, he was more charming than most two guys put together. And again, yeah. why do you love them so much? And why was he going, like, coming back from death to help them sheet their way through Harvard and again the, the movie never makes the point where I guess Method Man is becomes a super genius scientist as far as his botany yeah. and managed to get his, his A but pot is always the answer pot yeah. always wins the day yeah. you know it's not like Smiley Face where they at least recognize there are some negative repercussions to spending all of your time stoned out of your fucking mind right <laughs> Weird seeing Spalding Gray in this movie as well. Heartbreaking, yeah. Yeah, it is sort of heartbreaking because at this point we all know that he's dead. But um, um, Fred Willard, a lot of Jeffrey Jones, a lot of a lot of really Jeffrey Jones and Fred Willard didn't surprise me by showing up in this movie. But considering the pedigree of Spalding Gray, who's really known more as a sort of Broadway star, I get it. If you're if you're casting someone as someone who looks like an uptight like English teacher, yeah, Spalding Gray would fit the bill. And I'm not. I'm just surprised he's in the movie. Yeah, it, it, considering just what it's what it is. Really say yes to it, I guess. Yeah, yeah I'm sure. sure the paycheck was really nice, and <laughs> and I'm not faulting Spalding Green for being in the movie. It was just like the one weird casting choice, like oh, oh, there were nothing Gray. parts. Like yeah, Jeffrey Jones was in the movie. It was a yeah. nothing part. Fred yeah. Willard was in the movie. It was a nothing part. It's a great yeah. supporting role. Yeah, but, but yeah, when it's making me laugh, that's when I appreciate it. And like yeah. I said, there were a handful of times, maybe even enough times that I laughed out loud that it was worth watching. Yeah. But there was as much stuff that rubbed me the wrong way. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know if it was me. Again, sometimes you watch the wrong movie on the wrong day. Maybe if it hit me on another day, I wouldn't have been as Well, spoilers, I think, it, to me, it's one of the weakest movies of uh, of this set. I don't want to tell you where it is exactly in the list. No. Um, I, it's, 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 you know, Animal House. Mm-hmm. Or at least of that ilk, and there's been so many of them. Of them, Dark made. Comparison. like I said, it, so it, it, the nerds yeah, it's very generic in, in, in that regard. And I and I'm warning, and I'm saying this right now, the PC crowd. And I'm sure if I watched those movies again, I would find them just as offensive and PC today as yeah. like and that you wouldn't have thought about it at the time. Yeah. But it's just interesting, especially with comedies. I rewatched mm-hmm. Dumb and Dumber not too long ago, which has still got a lot of funny stuff in it. Mm-hmm. It's got a lot of stuff that's kind of. Yeah. You know, as well. There's there's a little bit of homophobia well, to it. There's a little bit of like yeah. stuff that they just wouldn't do today. Yeah. And I think comedy particularly falls victim to this, where it doesn't age as well. Well, yeah, it is sort of interesting because there's things that we find, you know, funny in, in certain decades. 
if you were to make an Austin Power movie in this day and age, it would flop exponentially. Well, again, even that and was it's just making more... fun of how cheesy and stupid and Ill- yeah. weirdly footed those '60s Bond movies are, or yeah, like they were they were commenting on it in their dumb, blunt way, right? Yeah. Um, so maybe this is like sort of like the hip hop commentary on the back to school college comedy things, yeah, and it plays all the beats of that. I just like. I think that for those those you need to be a rags to riches story. It seems like these guys didn't really have any any mountain to climb, anything that okay. they needed to accomplish, yeah. and anything that they did need to accomplish was just handed to them by a ghost yeah. or by an incredibly accommodating Harvard staff. Yeah, it also has this like really anticlimactic ending. It's got a really bad last line, basically trying to talk about how you know he can pleasure this woman, and then just ends. I was kind of thought, that's just a weird choice and way to end this movie. I mean, at that point, everything had been resolved anyways, but it was just like, really? that That's your last line of the that's movie? That's what you want to go out on. Yeah. So that was just a weird, weird choice. Look, I, I agree with you in, all, in, in, in that regard. It's not like I, I, I roll over and praise this movie. Yes, I did get it for you. Mm-hmm. Um, and it does make me laugh. It, you know, it's not a good movie but it's a funny movie for me at, 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 like at certain points on the right day with the right attitude yeah you know maybe on October 17th in a cloud of smoke yes <laughs> but uh, yeah, uh, yeah largely rubbed me the wrong way this time alright sorry how high right. this guy is weak crazy but not drug dealers with fundraisers go get me this Mr. Nice Guy well you know I'd be from Jamaica man what part of Jamaica right near the beach Boy. From Universal Pictures comes a story that proves I'm somebody's bitch. Oh! Three heads are better than one. Who's out, man? I just stopped smoking yesterday. <laughs> I remember when a dime bag cost a dime. Half baked. I'm sorry. So we're talking about having characters that we can cheer for or like. Yes. I think one of the things that half baked achieves very quickly yeah. is making us really like if not kind of in a limited pothead way yeah care for these group of buddies yeah we know right away that they've been friends since they were like 12 years old great opening by the way and we see the first time that they ever got stoned and yeah. they go shopping for their munchies afterwards and yeah. this sort of hilarious and over the top thing yeah and we flash forward and you know some of them are doing better than others. One of them's working in a fast food place. One of them's a janitor. One of them's like a kindergarten teacher. Yeah. Uh, uh, but they're harmless. They're warm. Mm-hmm. They love each other. And uh, they, they got a ladder to climb. They got somewhere to go. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, so uh, through a hilarious misadventure, one of them is sent out to get munchies. Canadian stand-up comedian Harlan Williams uh, stops by to feed a horse, <laughs> and the horse turns out Named, to be diabetic. Was it a buttercup? Yeah. No. The horse is diabetic, it dies, and because it's a police horse, they take it seriously. Officer down, officer down, and he's arrested and thrown in jail. Yeah. Um, and there's some not super politically correct jail humor, as I remember in the movie, but largely the scheme and all the pot selling and all the hijinks that ensue afterwards are these three buddies trying to get enough money to get their friend out of jail naughty man jungle of love they're motivated they're motivated yes to get him out of there before he is corrupted by his environment shall we say (laughs) and so 
<laughs> there's a hilarious Wasn't scene. Wasn't it nasty, Nate? <laughs> there's a hilarious scene where they're telling him the plan is to sell drugs to raise the money, yeah. and they're expecting him to balk at this. And he's like, go! No, no, Sell go, drugs! Go. go, go, go! Why are you still here? Um, so I, I could really get behind, even though they were doing some bad, dishonest things. <laughs> like, I was sort of cheering for him, you know? It, it gives you that scene when that dude quits his job at the fast food restaurant and says, fuck you to everybody. <laughs> the thing that you always want to do, but you never actually do. You get yeah. to live that out through this character. Yeah. And although it, it has some, some of the humor, again, hasn't aged as well as other things, it's consistently funny. Yeah. The characters are consistently likable. And I, I laughed all the way through. Um, Dave Chappelle was absolutely hilarious he was on his Young way David to, Chappelle yeah. in this too he, at this point he'd been doing bit parts in a lot of movies this is the first time I remember seeing him he'd like, been a, a sort of a, definitely a successful comedian at this point yeah, absolutely yeah. Um, but this is the first time I remember seeing him center a movie and he is such a charming such a funny guy and the, you get feeling like the weight of the world hasn't waited you know crushed his spirit yet yeah. he, he's still on the way up and on some level knows it yeah. And it's young, energetic, yeah. funny, funny guy. You can just see the talent there. Yeah. Even though it's kind of a dumb pot head comedy, it's put up another full letter grade for yeah. his presence in the movie. Yeah. Um, yeah. So uh, I think you can probably tell I'm totally into half baked. <laughs> well, I think, you know, one thing that makes this movie a, a, a success, and I think Tamara Davis got it right, is that this is one giant cartoon. Yeah. From you know, the highly bright colors uh, of uh, of our heroes, all four of them, to even how the apartment is done up, which is a stereotypical you know pothead apartment, but it's all it looks very cartoony. Even some of the transitions, there's that you know Batman riff of, of the pot leaf back and yeah. forth, and you know at one point there's a cartoon giving the thumbs up that is living in a cartoon. Even the man on the couch, it's yeah. a cliche, but it's even right, yeah. yeah. Uh, it is a giant cartoon. It's it's it never get gets way too dark, which some of the other movies I think do. Um, it's it, it it's light, and I think that's it's a, it's a, it's a success that way is that it knows it's a walking, talking comic book movie. And yeah, the Chappelle sort or of cartoon at least. Chappelle talks his way, narrates his way through the movie too. Yeah. It's a story being sort of driven and told through his character. Yeah, and so we get all this sort of hothead culture sort of bringing yeah. it in. So if you're a newbie, you you can you can be sort of guided along. Yeah, um, and yeah, like say over the top, the big bad pot dealer that we deal with is kind of this cartoon. Right, and Clarence Williams the third, just yeah. screaming his way through another. Well, apparently, it was quite difficult to work with during this movie. Oh no, um, just small details. They have uh, like cameos of just people representing different types of stoners. Snoop Dogg, Snoop Dogg and, and, guys, and John Stewart Jones. gives a rather definitely an easily <laughs> identified. Uh, personality trait if you will Bob Saget as a memorable line <laughs> <laughs> boo this man <laughs> um, and again you're right I mean we, we still care enough to wait around and see how they're going to get their buddy out of jail but we yeah. never doubt that it's going to work out yeah. there's enough that we care about what's going on but it's fun and light and yeah. stupid what were the name of the other two big leads uh, um, Guillermo Diaz is yeah. Scarface yes Jim Brewer is Brian. That's the other one, yeah. Jim Brewer. Jim Brewer is also sort of a, now a well-known comedian who yeah. has a lot written, at least written under his under his belt. And I wanted to give a special shout out to him because I think there's some great, great scenes done by him. But for my money, 
Scarface rules this movie for me. He's got some pretty great lines. <laughs> he really does. <laughs> and he's the he's not even a comedian out of all three of them. He's the more serious actor. The rest are, you know, professional comedians, but He's got this really interesting little kid energy, too. He buys a dog, he has yeah. a dog for two days, and the dog dies, and he uh, mourns him like a best friend. Yeah. Killer, man. <laughs> kill, kill him, me. Me. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> There's also just brilliant moments. Uh, the scientist at the place where uh, Dave Chappelle works <laughs> asks him to go pick up a package for yeah. him, <laughs> and he keeps referring to him condescendingly as janitor, yeah. so he keeps calling the scientist scientist in return, <laughs> yeah. but when he realizes that he's there to pick a pound of weed, <laughs> it really looks like he like ejaculates. <laughs> oh, he's completely <laughs> orgasming. <laughs> oh! <laughs> His hands are shaking so bad, he can barely sign for this brick. And he, he delivers it almost like reticently to the scientist. He doesn't want to. The scientist offers to give him some, and he keeps on reaching for more, almost like it's a power. <laughs> it's fucking hilarious. And it's all in execution. Like, yeah. none of that would have been as funny on the page, but yeah. god damn. <laughs> Way to be, Dave. Yeah. <laughs> no, no. Um, this is a dying giant Dave Chappelle showcase and, and it just reminds you about how funny this man is not was is yeah um, so good on him good on Tamara Davis good on good on all of them um, what, what what's good shout out to John Stewart and Janine Garofalo <laughs> I have killed I will kill <laughs> oh. she seemed to do this whole thing like where she would she'll be in your movie but Three minutes tops. Yeah. Usually closer to the 30 seconds. <laughs> it's but, just really as minimal commitment as you can totally fucking Totally owns it. it. But she's fine. Like, she does the job. Okay, well, here's one of the things. The, quote, moral of the story. Yeah. Uh, Dave Chappelle's character ends up giving up weed because he falls in love with Mary Jane, the woman. Yeah. And you were saying that you were kind of rubbed the wrong way by the final moments. Of, of how high the way it sort of tunelessly kind of brings us to the credits yeah what's the last line that we hear before credits drop <laughs> on that not as much as I like I, I love we I love we but not as much as, as I, I love. love pussy yeah you know what would have been a better moral <laughs> yes it's like instead of being ruled by weed yeah or ruled by a woman yeah maybe ruling yourself <laughs> do you know what I mean okay it's like that, I get what they're going for and yeah. like it's still it's a pro pot movie but it's yeah. not necessarily endorsing that you spend all of your life cataclysmically stoned there yeah. would be repercussions you yeah. know what I'm talking about yeah and uh that, that his out is to just obsess over something else. Yeah. Again, I'm overthinking. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm asking a lot out of a dumb movie. Yeah. But I kind of wish that wasn't the moral with which they left us. I, I think it was just more the shock of, like, not as much as I love pussy <laughs> and credits. There, there's a story of that's quite funny, because I watched the director's commentary uh, while watching this time while watching it. And Tamara Davis talks about how the studio execs were, were getting worried. They liked the dailies they were seeing, but they were worried about the film because it was going to be, was going to be a big budget pot comedy, and they hadn't done that in, in at least quite some time. Uh, and so they brought in, they flew Dave and Tamara and some of the other cast members out to the studio 
uh, to at least you know convince them to keep on making this movie, and they were worried. And Dave said, "Well, don't worry. You know how this movie ends." And they were saying, "Like, well, you know, okay, we've read the script, but you know, what is the, you know, what is the last line of this movie that you know, people are going to exit?" It says, "Don't worry, you're making a lot of money. It's going to be I love pussy, <laughs> and there was crickets, <laughs> but yet they still they they did, um, yeah, yeah." Just yeah. pristine little moments, you know. A lot of times you get in stoner comedies, people are like hallucinating cartoons bending yeah. out of the walls and it's way over the top. Yeah. I love that they literally started floating <laughs> when they tried the super science lead. <laughs> like they just lifted no, out of no, their chairs. No. The stoner who's sleeping on their couch who nobody knows who invited there yeah. takes one hoot and even though he's asleep just starts lifting up get on him. The... Get on him for the you know really cheap blue screen as well. Start <laughs> flying to the city. It doesn't nice. matter. <laughs> <laughs> nice Dutch. This, this film, once again, it's... it's film. Film. Yes, film. Not movie. Film, goddammit. Uh, you know, honesty time, um, I've, it has a special place in my heart, this movie. And it's sort of unfair because once again, it's, it's like Hot Rod. It's not a good movie, it's but a it's, movie. it's a funny, entertaining movie. Back in the old days, when I lived in two sixty six, there was a couple of movies that were played uh, two sixty six boy chuck you know, uh, on repeat quite a bit. Basketball was one of them, <laughs> and, and Half Baked was another. Well, so I can close my eyes and go Half Baked. I, I I could probably close my eyes now and reenact this movie for you. Um, <laughs> So it has some sentimental value because it's associated uh, by it's it's a, I guess it's a, it's a, I must I associate it to a far more innocent time in yeah. my life. Well, and it's um, it's it's just fun. It's light of heart. Yeah. It's you know, it's amusing. It passes the time. It's like smoking a joint. One would think. Okay. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, just you know, overuse might make you stupid. But they even, they even mention it. That it's a problem. Uh, it's fun. It's it's fun. It exceeded my expectations. And again, after after how high I was, a little bit trepidation. <laughs> a little bit trepidation. I was like, I want to like this. Still has to be funny because I remember thinking this was really funny. And uh, I think so far, half baked remains funny. Yes. Good enough. Good enough. These pot-themed movies, what was your least favorite, and why? Well, before I reclaim the throne, by the <laughs> way, not that I'm angry, Brock, or, or, or who has the crown now. Yeah, right now it is being shared by Eric uh, and Ashley. The husband and wife team, have they, they've reclaimed, well, they, well they've claimed the, the chance. Sorry, Ashley and who? Ashley and Eric. Ashley and Eric. 
What horrible names those are. <laughs> no. Anyway, congratulations, Ashley and Eric. Her. Eric Jerkins and Ashley Petrachowski, reigning champions. Yeah, congratulations, by the way. Unless you match here, unless you just, you just, just dethrone them. All right, here Rock we go. only held it for, for one whole episode after, so <laughs> it was a short reign. Congratulations, by the way. All right, <laughs> so <laughs> the countdown begins with how high it's definitely the weakest uh, uh, I think of, of these six movies it does have some funny bits but um, this, some, of the, some of the comedy is you know very I don't want to say unhealthy just it kind of goes to a place I mean shout out to Omar Epps uh, I, I think he walks a fine line and it's a pimp role uh, <laughs> he, he does make me laugh but it's, it's, the, it's the kind of movie that would not fly today so I guess how high I, I went back and forth on this, but at number five, I have Homegrown. I do like that movie, mm-hmm. um, and, and a lot more than I did way back in the day when I first saw it's, it. It's grown on you somewhat, didn't yeah. it? Yeah. Um, it just couldn't quite nail down successfully a tone, and I think that's why it's sort of low on there. But it is. A, I do recommend seeing it. Number three, I have Daisy Confused, because I sort of agree with you that um, it's big main selling point is that sort of nostalgia and you need more because it is one of those movies uh, it's a hangout movie I, I guess in a lot of ways um, where a whole lot of nothing happens but you're completely sucked in by the characters um, what really kind of threw me off and, and it's more the first 30-40 minutes is just how mean spirited some of these characters are and I do think like later celebrating him a little bit I mean he does give commandances to, to, to at least the main instigators of the cruelty but that that was the one that, that sort of and maybe it's because of my parent and maybe a parent of a girl as well that really sort of went oh I get why you know way back in the day my mom was kind of looking at me like because she's not a total square um, it was just sort of it reached levels of unpleasantness for me that I just didn't see coming or I, ha- I have of it. And it's interesting how the movie has changed in my eyes throughout the decades. I think it can be a charming memory uh, to some people, but if you've been a real victim of bullying, it can be a traumatizing memory. Yeah. Yeah. So I guess at uh, the next one is Days Confused. At number three, uh, and I went back and forth because I do think these three movies could easily sort of you know switch places a little bit was like Leaves of Grass, mm-hmm. you know, a, a more a more philosophical crime thriller, a sweet-natured, I would say on Bredentious, you say the opposite. It's a very, it's the it's the best script out of all of them, which is strange why it's this low. I guess I said pretentious, but I didn't mean for it to be necessarily negative. Yeah. <laughs> but yes. Um, it's a very, very charming movie mixed in with weird scenes of violence, but it, but it does successfully hold those tonal shifts quite well. Yeah. Uh, but I do think it's because, well, it's Tim Blake Nelson is a way more talented person in, in that regard. I don't want to say more than Richard Linklater because Linklater is a superior filmmaker. Mm-hmm. Like, just wow. But Leaves of Grass. At number two, this really surprised me because I didn't have a lot of faith in the director, like you've mentioned, because The Doom Generation is a terrible movie. Yeah is Smiley Face, and it's two things, I think. One, it, it, understa- it understands the subculture uh, of pot culture quite well. Like, there's there's some very authentic things in this movie. Anna Faris is, gives an amazing character, an amazing performance. It has some of the most funniest scenes I've seen in the past decade. 
You can like her without sympathizing. Yeah. Like, you're just, and you, like, oh my god, girl. <laughs> That's the vibe of the movie. Oh man, when, when that book explodes, <laughs> it was just like, wow! Yeah, so, Smiley Face. It's very, very funny, and I was surprised how funny it was. Sentimental value. I'm going with my heart and not my head. And I think this is quite where we, we might. I you're giving me that look like, no, it didn't happen. <laughs> it's half-baked. It, it, it reminds me more of a more simpler, innocent time in my life. It, it's a movie made by a bunch of comedians, so it's more of like funny, actual things. There is a plot, but really is that important. Right. It's by far the most charming, funniest movie uh, out of all of them. Not uh, probably the better executed than I would think, at least leaves a grasp. But if you weren't your quintessential stereotypical pop movie, it would be half baked. You, you you'd put it in the same sort of vein as Friday or Harold and Kumar go to White Castle. We we haven't even mentioned the Harold and Kumar movies. Yeah. You know that sort of buddy buddy. It absolutely fits the bill of the pot comedy. Yes. Yeah. 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 I feel you. So. There they go. There's my six. And can I have the sack? Unfortunately, we did not. I I called it before we were recording yeah. it. I said that we weren't gonna necessarily agree, but I thought it was gonna be a much more different list than it ended up being. Okay. You gave me how high is a gift? Yeah. A year or so ago, with the, but so I assumed it was higher in your esteem. Yeah. I thought I was gonna hurt your feelings by ranking it in sixth place. No. But I absolutely ranked it in sixth place. Okay. That said, I got some guilty laughs out of it, and yeah. I'm sure if you were stoned enough, like. For its audience, I'm sure it would do fine. Um, yeah. It just really kind of rubbed me the wrong right, wrong way. I'm hoping I'm not becoming too sensitive. Like I do like an I like a movie that's politically incorrect. I like kind of edgy humor sometimes. It just yeah. it didn't seem appropriate here. It seemed like it wanted to be a different movie than it was. Somehow. Okay. Anyway, yes, I will continue agreeing with you with Homegrown in fifth place. Lot to like here. Yeah. I'm not sure I like where the script takes us, but yeah. I was always with the script while it was happening until it got there. Yeah. Uh, you got a really game cast, but it's this is another one of those. This is all about the journey and not the destination. Yeah, um, and it's it's not funny and it's not particularly thrilling. It's just an engaging watch. Yeah, uh, and it's sort of a, it's a weird thing. So. Yeah, again, a lot of people think like Dazed and Confused has got to be number one, dude. Dazed and Confused, dude. Well, first of all, it's not a stoner comedy, and I know it's not the only one on the list that was misrepresented, but yeah. it's a solid coming-of-age drama, but you know what this kind of movie is, and yeah. it is absolutely that movie. For yeah. me, like I said in the review, it's all about the supporting players. It's all about seeing the future A-listers of Hollywood making their first movie, yeah. and uh, uh, I'll watch it again. It's a good movie. I just, I, I think it's overhyped. Okay. So this is where it gets hurt, because I... The top three was brutal. I actually it was a really hard call for me. Oh, yeah. It's like, is it the best movie that's about pot, or is it the best movie? And I was trying to find a way to meet in the middle. Okay. So that meant, even though it hurt me to do it, Half Baked is all the way in third position. Well, see, and I went with my heart when the movie, and like I said, there was more emotional nostalgia connection with Half Baked than... It's funny and it's fun. Yeah. But... It is kind of like it's it's an empty meal, right? It's, yeah, it's it's a fast yeah. food meal. It's yeah. really good at being what it is, and in, in fact, like I probably like it maybe more than it's worth. It hits my nerve personally, but can I say that Half Baked is a better movie than Leaves of Grass? 
can I say that? No, that you... That was what I was wrestling with. Okay. And in the end, I just decided that I think, technically, Leaves of Grass just is a little bit better of a movie overall. Yeah. So it made it to second place. But second and third was just... Ugh, God, that was tough. Yeah. Um, it's full of ideas. And as much as I was saying, it could be considered pretentious because it's quoting classic literature all of the time. And it's adding all these extra layers of philosophy in a movie that's maybe not asking it to. Uh, because it's such a unique movie. Because it's such a... It did engage me. Because, you know, the center of the movie is a series of special effects. Making Edward Norton perform two characters simultaneous to us. And then that drops away almost immediately. The movie accomplishes so much mm-hmm. that I have to give it a lot of points. Um, so it fought its way to second position. But again... Tomorrow or yesterday, I might have... And I split the difference. And again, it was shocking for me to put a Greg Araki movie on the top. But like, what's the best movie? What's the best stoner comedy? Well, Mm. this one's kind of the best meet in the middle. I think there's some really good filmmaking here, as much Mm. as it pains me to say it's from a director I don't like. Mm. He really seems to understand how to let the audience get in the head of the main character of the movie. Mm. And with Anna Faris delivering us that character... It really worked. <laughs> Excuse me. And when I when I say like it got to this ending and it didn't give us the ending we wanted or expected. But it earned it. It was such a surprise that it didn't do that. And that even though we're not doing that, even though our character is picking up garbage on the side of the highway, it didn't feel like a loss for the movie. Yeah. It was a much better ending than I, I, I love weed, but not as much as I love pussy. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So uh, I ended up putting smiley faces the top of the list but yeah. it was really tough for me and I kind of knew when we were going in that we're probably not going to match because I figured well I, I didn't think you would put How High at the bottom and I assumed that Half Baked was going to be number one for you Yeah, because so, I know it's been a big part of your past Yeah, but a weirdly tough list to rank yeah. and uh, it's so strange to me again I go back to where we started that like these movies are just the, the, the common thread is weed but there's a lot of very lot of variety to this and it's just it's a strange subgenre weird yep. movies it's, yep. it's weird <laughs> but we got through it we did someday you may retain, retain your, your championship but today, my <laughs> friend, it was not today <laughs> thanks for being here dude thanks, thank you for having me it's always a pleasure and a joy through six weed-themed movies. I hope you guys enjoyed something a little different this episode. And if you didn't, or you did, please let me know by writing me at rankandreview at gmail.com. That's R-A-N-K-N-R-E-V-I-E-W at gmail.com. Thank you so much for your time. Please tell a friend about Rank and Review. Please consider checking out the Terror Table. And keep your ears to the ground for Book of Trespasses, a supernatural thriller. Motion Picture that is written and co-directed by your host and random Canadian Larry Parsons. Coming soon, kids. Coming soon.